of the Universe Within podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. I've worked at the temple for probably the past decade now, and I can really attest to the quality of the work they do. They work with the Shipibo lineage, primarily working with ayahuasca and a a whole plant medicine system, working with four different healers or curanderos, uh, two to three facilitators, a pre-ceremony yoga teacher, uh, bone doctors, herbalists, really an amazing support uh, system, a, a staff that's really comes together and creates an amazing experience for people who are looking to work with these plant medicines, these sacred plant medicines. <clears throat> um, they they offer 12-day workshops working with six ceremonies, so it's a, it's a pretty intensive process, but I've seen just tremendous results of people who come down with uh, physical ailments, mental, emotional, spiritual things, and, and really just experiencing amazing results. So if ayahuasca is something you're interested in working with, the temple is a really amazing place to, to make that happen. If it's the first time and you're looking for a place to kind of experience that initiation, or even if it's something you've worked with for a long time, they, they do really good work in, in creating an environment that allows people to go really deeply into that process. So if you'd like more information, you can check out Temple of the wayoflight.org, and that link is in the show notes. Also, myself and my colleague, Marav Artsy, who I interviewed, I believe, in episode number 28, are running dietas. Dietas are one of the traditional ways that people really learn to work with plants, um, to really connect with a plant on an energetic level, to experience the, the physical healing benefits of those plants, the mental-emotional benefits, and the, the spiritual benefits, uh, these things of spirit, of, of really connecting to a, a higher purpose, a deeper sense of self, or our place in this world, um, and a, a, I think a deep connection to nature and, and to the plant kingdom. So that's a really amazing opportunity to go deeper into this work. Uh, if you're interested in, in working with this, you can check out the interview I did with Marav. I also did a, a podcast talking about diets, also talking about tobacco, which is the, the main tradition we were trained in and working with various trees. Um, we're currently running a diet. I'm shooting these episodes a little bit early, so we're running uh, a workshop now in March, and then we'll be doing another one in, in May and potentially early June, and then another one in September. So for more information about that, you can check out my website at nicotianarustica.org and Marav's site at tobaccodiets.com. Both of those links will be in the show notes. Uh, my guest for today is my friend Stefan. I met Stefan when I originally came down to the Amazonian jungle, to Iquitos, to begin doing this work. He's a really amazing guy. He's been down there even a little bit longer than I have. He uh, currently works with an organization called Chaikuni, which is a not-for-profit that's really doing good work, uh, helping with indigenous rights, um, uh, various things with the Amazon conservation. Um, and he's a really amazing guy. And we had a really, really good conversation. It, it kind of exceeded my expectations. And um, we got into some really 
good topics about what's going on in the Amazon, the problems that are being faced, uh, issues that are facing some of the indigenous communities in the Amazon, a lot of his personal story. And I, I really enjoyed this conversation. And I think anyone who's interested in, in what's going on in the Amazon, some of the issues that are, are, are being faced there, uh, solutions to some of these issues, uh, kind of the duality of how none of these things are really very black and white. Um, I think you got you guys uh, will will get a lot out of this episode. I, I really enjoyed it. So um, I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Stefan. Although before that, I forgot to mention, if you're able to support this podcast, that's a really big help. Patreon is a really good way. Uh, by signing up, by donating a little bit of money, as, as little as a dollar a month, it gives you some access to some really nice benefits. Um, there's different tiers, and you can sign up for things like early access to shows, uh, extended interviews, bonus material, Q&As, and that's a really big support to me to be able to bring on these, what I consider really fascinating guests to continue to do this podcast. Uh, so if you're able to do that, thank you very much to all the people who are supporting via Patreon. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate all of your help, all of your support. Um, there's also the option of uh, direct donating via PayPal, um, and there's a link in the show notes for both that and for the Patreon link. If you're not able to do that, simply going on the YouTube channel and subscribing to the show is really a big help. Turning on the notification bell, liking the video, that really helps with the algorithms and getting the show out to a bigger audience. Um, and then with the audio version, going on Apple Podcasts, subscribing to the show, and leaving a starred rating and a short review, that also is a really big help. So to everyone who has done that, thank you very much. And if you are able to do that, thank you. It's very appreciated. So again, now, truly without further ado, here is my conversation with Stefan. Yeah, welcome, Stefan. Welcome to the to the podcast. Um, it's good to see you. It's been a long time, I guess, since well, it's probably been close to a year. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> oh, the the lockdown, right? That, yeah. that's that's the date. It's it's been a year, yes. It's yeah. been a year. Yeah. So I met you. I met you the first time. It was probably back in 2013 when I first came down to start working for the temple. And uh, that's when we, we had like a communal office. And that's where I think at the time, Alianza Zarakana, who you're working for, they were based out of there. So I would always see you in passing <clears throat> when I came into Iquitos, bringing groups in. Um, so maybe you can just start off uh, a little bit about your background. I mean, I know originally you're from Switzerland via Norway and then to, to the Amazon. But what, what kind of led you on this journey to, to eventually come to the Peruvian Amazon? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I'm, I'm glad you remind me of when we first met because sometimes my, my memory is a bit blurry on how things actually, uh, you know, all happened all, or all, all unfolded. Um, but yeah, it's right. It's that long time that we met uh, for the first time, right? Um, 2013. Yeah. I'll try to be a bit quick about, about my, my, my story. 
Uh, as you said, yes, I'm, I'm from Switzerland. Uh, when I was about 20, um, starting to study, I decided to move to Norway to, to do studies there, development studies, and, and thereafterwards, uh, a, a, a environment, international environmental studies. And I did this move from, or this, this motivation came, you know, when you're young and you start to kind of, feel out what is it that you really want to do. Um, I felt strongly for the international aspect, maybe even international politics, but just this curiosity of different countries, different cultures. And that brought me to start studying something that's called international relations, which in Switzerland I thought was the closest thing to that I was interested in at that moment. Um, one year later, I, I felt it wasn't, it wasn't exactly the right thing. I was much more interested into the humanitarian aspects, but that study was a bit more on the economic, on the economical side and, and so forth. So I found this uh, pretty interesting uh, study, bachelor studies in, in Norway. And at that moment, I was also having a relationship uh, with a Norwegian, Norwegian girl. And so it kind of, you know, I was young I was uncomplicated and I felt let's do it let's just move to Norway and of course I don't regret that at all um, and and doing development studies was much more what I what I really wanted to do and of course um, throughout the years I, I, I understood that I was always more interested in sort of environmental topics right and uh, so uh, doing a much master's degrees then was was pretty clear. I wanted to, you know, look into environmental issues, obviously always uh, in connection with people. Um, and so and so in Norway, I, I finally, you know, when people ask me what kind of what, what kind of education or what kind of degree you actually have, it's it's always really difficult for me to explain what it is. It's sort of of everything a little bit, but nothing really specialized. It's this sort of like multidisciplinary degree with different things from anthropology to sociology, uh, to politics, to, to geography. Um, but in the end, I, I did, uh, I did um, uh, do a, mas a, a master thesis in specialized in something that's called political ecology. And that I did very much identify with because it is a sort of a, a quick explanation is it's a sort of looking at environmental problems through a political lens because every environmental issue or problem is always, of course, uh, understood or looked at through, through, through people, no? through a sort of a, a, a political motivation. Um, and so... I, I did feel in the end that this was really much uh, something that I was extremely interested in and I felt very comfortable, uh, you know, studying, studying exactly that subject. And um, maybe to step back a bit, the, the environmental aspect is something that I had been very fascinated with from, from the very beginning, uh, from a very young age. And also the Amazon was something that obviously came up uh, at a very young age, my dad, you know, showing me those National Geog Geographic uh, books or or whatever, whatever they were, you no. Know? And so I always had this, uh, I always had this sort of, it sounds very cheesy, but it's uh, I've always had this sort of, like, oh, this Amazon, you know, 
very magical or mystical. And so, and I kept this in the back of the head and uh, throughout the studies, like I said, I, I crystallized itself towards, towards looking at this environmental aspect. Um, and I did have a chance uh, throughout the bachelor's studies to go to Bolivia uh, and do some field work there. Uh, and that was pretty special because everyone else went to sort of like areas that where the, the university had some connections with other universities. And, and I didn't want to go there. I wanted to go to the Amazon. Uh, so I decided to go to Bolivia and I spent a couple of months, I think, in the Bolivian Amazon. And that was really my first contact with, uh, with the Amazon, of course, and also with the indigenous uh, Tacna people that were, that were living there. And, and, and so it, through some kind of twist of faith or doing the master's degrees, uh, I suddenly turned my focus a bit on on. Africa. That's pretty funny when people speak of Africa as the country of Africa, but of course it's much more nuanced and, and it's very diverse as well. So I had a I had a professor who was doing work in Tanzania in Eastern Africa, and within this uh, po uh, political ecology subject, and really interested me, and he got me on a on a research project there, and I felt good, felt like okay, now is the time for Africa, uh, just opening some parentheses there because I was born in South Africa, which doesn't really have much to do with myself, but my, my father and my parents, my father at that moment uh, was working. He's a, he's a doctor. Um, uh, he was working in, in a remote South African village and my, my, my parents um, moved there to work there for two years. And that's when I, that's when I was born. And so even though it's not really related to me, it's, it's there, you know, you can't, can't ignore it. And it did feel like, okay, wow. Uh, okay. Now is the time to, to, you know, to explore some of this other beautiful continent. And so um, making this long story to sort of get to the point where I, how did I end up in the Amazon? Uh, because when I finished, uh, when I finished my degree, uh, I, was, I got extremely lucky and I got into a, a, an organization that's called uh, the Rainforest Foundation Norway. They had an opening for a position in, in, in Central Africa. And so me speaking some French and just coming out freshly with this experience from Tanzania, working on communal uh, community-based forest management, it just really opened up the door for me to, you know, into professional life. And I got really lucky being able to work in a, what I consider to as until today, a great organization and learning all these uh, professional skills quite, quite early on. Um, and I was working as a program coordinator for, for the Democratic Republic of Congo, which of course is an extremely uh, complicated country or region with all its past and uh, but it does have the second largest continuous rainforest in the world which a lot of people don't don't necessarily know uh, so i had a fantastic three years there uh, learning a lot uh, working in a difficult country uh, getting in touch with the indigenous peoples there they're called pygmy people uh, also have a fantastic uh, fantastic culture and legacy and so, and, and so I was doing that 
uh, and I got to a point where I felt that now I need to change something and now I should go to the Amazon because that's pretty much where most of my motivation of wanting to study environmental issues and all this came from. And I did that. Uh, I did that in 2012. Uh, and that's how this, this chapter starts or started with, with Alianza Arcana, with the Chaikuni Institute and with the, in connection with the Temple of the Way of Light, right? So we met in 2013. I came down in 2012. Um, we to I got in touch with with Matthew. I guess for people who maybe not know who he is, he is the founder of the Temple of the Way of Light, who's also the founder of 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 the Chaikuni Institute. And at that moment, uh, Alianza Arcana. And I got in touch with Matthew. I called him up and said, "Look, I I got to hear about your 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 NGO, the Alianza Arcana. I want to I want to you know I want to go to the Amazon, Peruvian Amazon. You know, can is there a possibility to contribute or, or work with Alianza Arcana? And and we got in touch, and he immediately invited me to come down. So that's the start, and yeah, from there, I think at the moment when I came down. Alianza Arcana was still uh, sort of in its uh, in its beginnings, uh, much more active also in a way around Pucallpa uh, than it was in Iquitos. And in Iquitos, when I came down, there wasn't anyone directly working with Alianza Arcana uh, there. Uh, and so I kind of started to explore the field and started to develop some some programs and projects for Alianza Arcana. In, in Iquitos and in Loreto. And in the, at that one moment, it was called the Environmental Justice Program at Alianza Can. And so, yeah, that's my story. And uh, it continued from there. And I'm still in Iquitos. And right now, yes, I'm, I'm working for the Chaiku Institute. <clears throat> so what was that like for you? You, you obviously, you, you had this, this kind of dream, this vision of going to the Amazon. So when you finally arrived there, what was that experience like? Was it, was there things that were kind of sho <clears throat> shocking for you or did it kind of what you imagined was there? And then also what was that, what was that early work like that you were doing um, with, with Alianza Arcana? Okay. The, yeah. The arriving to Iquitos, I'm not sure if I had any expectations or Anyways, I, I imagine it to be, um, I think like maybe for a lot of people when you arrive to Piquitos, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, there's a lot, tons of impressions and tons of colors and tons of noises and, and chaos. And so, so that I was very much enjoying at that, at that moment, I think, um, um, but I also think it's very important to, you know, that you've been there. It's, it's very different and it's very important to separate in a way the Iquitos, uh, the city of Iquitos and, and its immense Amazonian surroundings. You know, the, the onda, as I say in, in, in Spanish, or, or the, the feeling in the city is so different uh, from, from a, for example, an Amazonian indigenous community. And of course, what I was fascinated with and my motivation to come down was not so much the city, but rather the surroundings. And uh, I did always 
greatly enjoy going to the communities and and still do, even though it, it's not like a, a nice place to be in the sense of it's not a uh, no es cómodo, no it's not really, it's not an easy environment in terms of in terms of temperature, in terms of humidity, in terms of practicalities, food. No, but um, that that was was fascinated me, and I definitely did did find that. And you asked me what was work like. In like I like I mentioned, this it was very much up to me, sort of as well to to define. I, I was very independent in a way, which was which was interesting to me. Uh, I was independent in, in finding defining what we would like to do as Alianza Arcana. They obviously there has been a short history of what Alianza Arcana has been supporting, uh, in particularly uh, the indigenous movement around, uh, you know, the oil oil blocks uh, and and sort of the the trampling of of their their, their human rights or indigenous people's rights, say the, the right to safe environment, um, and so obviously I. I would look into that. I would reach out to some of the partners or allies we Alianza Arcana had at that moment and sort of just try to, you know, try to start to define uh, projects and, and, and find ways and how we wanted to support uh, these indigenous organizations. And then, of course, also one of the main things is always trying to find funding for, for what you do. And so I remember it being a time of very, very much undefined, very much free, but difficult in, temp, in the sense also ways of trying to find out what, what are we going to do, but also extremely exciting because during that moment, uh, I was really starting to, starting to get to know uh, the Peruvian Amazon or the Amazon in, 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 in a way that, you know, I didn't know before, of course. So... Yeah. You, you use the term indigenous. Um, how would you define that? And, and in Peru, what would you say separates an indigenous person from, from a non-indigenous person? Well, I'm sure there's some, some, <clears throat> some real specific definitions on, on, on what's indigenous. Um, However, there's there's one one important um, element there that I think is also defined in international law, and and it's the autodetermination of indigenous, right? So it's and for me and for me I, I go by that in a way because in a, in a way everyone is kind of free to define uh, what they are themselves, no? Um, and so that that aspect for me nowadays is. It's obviously really important that people themselves identify with you know, and say, come up and step forward and say, yes, I'm, I'm indigenous. That's a really important element. The other ones, obviously, there's some more objective elements, sort of like you've been there for a long time. You have your own specific culture and cultural uh, systems that is easily separable, let's say, from, from mainstream culture. No, But then... Of course, when we start to get into these uh, definitions or making these really thin and exact lines about who is what, it gets really extremely complicated. And, and sometimes I also don't see what is really, what's the purpose of that. You know? So that's again why I'm saying it's really important that people 
uh, themselves, you know, say, look, I have this indigenous heritage and I'm indigenous. Of course, defining it like that or putting much emphasis onto that is also complicated because this is exactly an element where um, that has been really um, uh, controversial over the last years because, or the last century even, because that's exactly what happened to many Peruvians or many indigenous Peruvians is that society has always looked at the indigenous as something being worth less, uh, you know, and something not something not worthy. So people actually started to negate their indigenous heritage and start to say, well, no, I'm Peruvian or no, I'm Mestizo and, and no. So this also, I think, led to a lot of loss of culture because people then suddenly felt, okay, I'm somehow worthless. So no, I don't want to be that. I'm, I'm just going to be Peruvian. Um, so this has, I think, also led to some 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 damage and or damage or cultural loss, you know. And, uh, and until today, this is something important that the Chaikuni Institute is working with. Is it, sort of, you know, just uh, accepting or investigating or being proud or or at least realizing your your cultural heritage and then do with it as what, what you like, you know. But, but at the first time, like realize and be you know, know that you can be proud of what you are. Um, so this concept of, of indigenous versus mestizo obviously is, is constant, uh, the constant object to debates and, uh, and worse, no? And, and so of course in, in Peru also you have, you have what they call mestizo, and this also is supposed to be, I think, as a definition of, you know, uh, Peruvian origin sort of mixed with uh, Spanish, uh, Spanish immigrant, sort of that, that background. And I, I think it's a really, it's a really difficult concept to speak about, like five year, 500 years after, uh, after conquest and subjugation of, of, you know, of the Europeans to, to Peru. So uh, I prefer much more to, you know, to, to see, to look at Peru as this um, multicultural, extremely culturally diverse country uh, with so, so many different cultural heritage. You know? So I think sometimes when we, when we when we write publications uh, or put something on our web pages in Chaikuni, I think we speak of the Amazon and in, in particular in Peru, in particularly the northern Peruvian Amazon, as a sort of number one cultural diversity hotspot in the world, because there is uh, close to fifty-two or something cultural um, peoples or groups. It's, it's also a discussion whether you should call them groups or usually you speak of indigenous peoples or indigenous nations. And so Peru is just this mega diverse, mega culturally diverse country, you know, melting, not necessarily a melting pot, but with this very rich, rich cultural heritage as well. Yeah. Do you have any sense of, of uh, I, I don't know if Peru defines it, but do you have any sense of, of how many 
technically indigenous groups there are and, and maybe what kind of percentage of the overall population identifies as indigenous versus mestizo? Yeah, um, don't ask me too much about specific numbers. I know there's people that are really great about, you know, 27% of this and that or that and that many indigenous groups. I believe it to be, like I mentioned, somewhere between 20, 52 and 54 uh, different uh, cultural ethnicities. Uh, yeah, and um, if I'm correct as well, I, I, I think to remember that there was a census, a national census in 2017 was the last one. And if I'm not entirely wrong, I think at that moment between 20 and 30 people, 30 percent uh, between 20 and 30 percent of Peruvians uh, identified also identified themselves as indigenous peoples but don't take me up on that number but I do know it increased uh, I think significantly or at least importantly uh, from the census that was five years before that and also from 2012 to 2017 I, I believe this this number or this percentage raised, and yeah, I mean it's it, again it's what we've been, what partly what we work with, and it's partly also something that you you've been able to see uh, in Peru, but also in other Amazonian countries that probably lead the way, a country like Brazil or a country like Ecuador. Mm, if you can speak of something like indigenous pride, if that's a concept or that that exists uh, or or empowerment perhaps you know I, I i think a lot of a lot of indigenous groups and indigenous nations have been working with for decades and you can you can you know you can see that more and more people start to identify with this and start to be start to be proud of this of their of their origins and yeah i think this is definitely also to some extent happening in peru mm -hmm. So when when you first came down, uh, you mentioned a little bit, but what are what are some of the main issues that that you found yourself working with? The main issue was definitely uh, sort of the social environmental disaster that now it's about five decades of oil activity has left uh, within indigenous communities in the in the northern Peruvian Amazon. Um, so. So again, the program was called Environmental Justice, and we 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 looked into ways of of, of accompanying uh, some of these indigenous organizations and communities that had been affected, uh, yeah, by the oil industry. And often we speak of you know claiming claiming their rights, you know, and somehow. Um, I'm sure you know some of this, but the situation of some of these indigenous communities is really is really really worrying um and, and and it's a big paradox in a way but in a way not but uh, as happens in many other situations in many other countries as well uh, if you have a resource rich region that doesn't really mean uh, prosperity uh, for the people who live uh, in these areas uh, we, we spoke earlier about africa i think Africa also does have several countries uh, that make a great example for this that are really oil rich countries, but the the population in general lives, you know, a really low uh, income level and usually below poverty lines, you know, and some of this 
of course also happened to the communities around um, around these oil concessions um, and of course again speaking from this generally defined poverty and development perspective these people would be defined as poor um, or extremely poor um, I usually adv advocate uh, for you know looking at this in a, in a, in a nuanced way um, but of course you can look at it in an objective way and say you know these people lack something uh, they are you know they are not doing great um, you sh generally the idea is or the impression is that uh, as long as indigenous people have access to their territory and to a healthy environment a healthy forests um you know we we believe that they have all the basis to to live a good life um and if you go back in time i don't i also don't think there was as much um, malnutrition within indigenous peoples as long as they had you know access to plentiful cochas lakes rivers to you know to this great abundance of in of 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 natural resources of animals plants and and trees and, and all of that um they were living el when we live, they were living a good life of course there's a tendency if you overdo this to romanticism um, uh, which i don't want to i don't necessarily want to want to go there we can discuss this as well but i i, I definitely see that this is, is sort of proven if, if they if they had the rights to their territories and weren't threatened by env environmental uh, contamination destruction or over overuse and over exploitation of natural resources they usually did have access uh, to all the the resources that they needed um and sort of were able to to live uh, definitely a good life of course if you want to if you want to look at the benefits of western civilization as well in terms of probably discussed this in terms of medicine i mean it's probably undeniable that there's some nice uh progress as well in terms of western medicine but they also did have access and still yeah they always had access to their own traditional medicines and, and, and you know ways of of, of, what, of what dealing with, with with diseases that were known to them you no know? and so long story short this was the main issue that we we worked with uh, is the sort of like the extractive industry that really uh, set their foot on on northern very remote uh, rainforest territories in northern peru but also a bit closer to the city of Iquitos. And also, interestingly, or, or sadly, also on the one river where the Chaikun Institute has its permaculture center and where the Temple of the Way of Light also has its, uh, has its center. And that, that river is called the Nanai River. And just a bit further up the river, uh, there was also at that moment... Um, two oil concessions recently having been handed out and the Nanai River is not uh, well it's not only close to Iquitos it is also the the source that you know for drinking water for the city of Iquitos which today has between half a million or and one million of of, of, of inhabitants 
and so so sort of there was a real uh, a, a real threat to the drinking water source for that city of you know almost one million people so um, there was something called uh, or there is something called the water defense committee uh, uh, made up of really just concerned citizens uh, not affiliated to any political party or, or anything there were teachers there were lawyers there were just com- concerned citizens who sporadically or more or less regularly met uh, 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 some meetings and and you know really were concerned about this issue within the night river and nowadays they have grown to sort of being one of the few and probably the most important um uh, let's say group or collective that speaks up uh, in terms of uh, environmental issues concerning uh, concerning Iquitos and 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 our, and our region. No, so that's another that's another thing I was working with, and I was uh, yeah, I was grateful for that because it was really it brought you it really put you there. It, 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 on the ground and 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 with real people from there and 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 yeah it, it felt really important and and it was really important and the, the committee water defense committee actually succeeded and i believe it's definitely to a large degree thanks to them that these this oil company that held those two concessions uh at some moment sort of you know, handed back the concession, and of course, the the official reason probably is going to be different. But uh, sort of um, civil society opposition to 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 that exploitation in the Nanai region um, definitely played a, an important role. So yeah, it, it's definitely it's the oil and extractive industry and that kind of issues uh, that I was working with and and and. It's always sort of from a from a perspective and trying to strengthen really indigenous agency uh, indigenous organizations indigenous leaders you know so they can you know they can they can they can really lead a strong advocacy uh, for for their case and, and for for respecting their rights yeah you you mentioned this idea of concession. So uh, I guess the, these oil companies are coming and they're getting concession to these lands. What is you, you also mentioned that, that one of the issues is many of these indigenous people don't have rights to the land. So what is the issue that you've seen? Where is it that th- there's not titles to the land? There's not a a, um, a culture of private property that they don't have uh, like a deed to that land. Because uh, I, probably many people are familiar that there are certain indigenous reserves, but how does that work? I mean, is that truly their land? Is it government land that's under government control and not truly their control? What is what is the issue that that where it seems like a lot of these oil companies are able to come in, um, whether whether that's the, the the will or the the desire of the people living on there or not. Yeah, you 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 you're, you're kind of mentioning the central point there. Um, the issue, the issue, or the situation in Peru is that indigenous communi- communities uh, uh, are able to title their communities. So there are uh, a lot of indigenous communities that do have title to their communities, 
whereas there's also a whole lot that don't. So that's a different situation. If they don't have a title to their communities, obviously uh, they are prone to, to whatever kind of concession that the government is giving away. Uh, so there has been a huge focus on titling indigenous lands, communities, and, and now hold on because that's the that's the that's the important uh, difference to 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 make there. So uh, indigenous communities, there is a law that allows titling of indigenous communities. They are going to be titled as indigenous communities, just like as any. Um, Comunidad de Campesinos, for other, other rural communities, um, there's a special form for titling indigenous communities um, with specific rights to those communities. But that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the thin line there or the really important difference to make because they are being able to title their communities. Uh, that means, basically, usually the land that they live on Directly, that usually means um, the area where their village is built on, and probably some extra land where they have their chakras, where they have their field, and perhaps some forest as well. But these, the, the, they are never titled the entire extension of the lands that they traditionally use. So, for example, areas where they go to hunt, and these can be huge areas because. Traditionally, depending on what kind of culture or what kind of um, indigenous people you speak about, uh, whether they were hunters or, or whether they're more fishermen, um, but they would use huge tracts of lands. And no one in Peru, no indigenous community, neither any indigenous nation has been able to receive a title to their uh, integral land was that indigenous territory that's something that you mentioned um, in that form doesn't exist in Peru as it for example does in in other in other countries I know it, it does exist in Brazil I know it does exist in Ecuador I do also believe it exists in Colombia but there has been a long and ongoing political and legal battle um, by indigenous organizations to get to something what they call their integral territory and integral indigenous territories and get the title and the right to self-determination uh, on their land, on their entire land and not just on one community. And so, and so you can imagine like the titling of communities as separate from indigenous nations or indigenous territories was of course quite intentional as well, as well for the government because it, it was very beneficial to them because it also can lead easily to a sort of, uh, I don't know, divide and rule or to sort of a, a separation between the communities and even in some time, in some, sometimes to a competition between communities. Whereas what a lot of uh, indigenous uh, federations are fighting for as well, with, sometimes with, with the support of, NGOs, international NGOs, is precisely to get to this point where you do have an entire territory um, titled as indigenous territory or indigenous land and lands where an indigenous nation, an entire peoples, an entire nations, and not separated by communities, but for example, the Achuar people or the Wampi people or the Shipibo nation, would then uh, have the right to their territory. 
I know I know that you are a bit um, familiar and interested in, for example, the Matzes people, which are actually, in terms of distance, quite close to, to Iquitos, so the Iquitos areas that you know. Um, the the Matzes are an exception uh, in, in, in in this in this um, in this picture in terms of uh, having an indigenous territory. But what happened there is something strange that what is not really reflected in 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 legal um, in legal terms or in in legality in Peru, because they have been uh, they have received a land title to the Matzes community. However, that land title is um, immense, but it is it says it's a title to the Matzes community, but it would be what most closely comes to something as an indigenous territory in in Peru. Uh, there is currently, uh, I know at least of two, I believe the movement is growing stronger for other uh, indigenous nations as well. But um, in Peru, uh, the Achuar people around the Pastaza, Morona, also northern, northern, northern Amazon and the One Piece nations, they are most advanced with, you know, uh, uh, fighting for this integral uh, territory for 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 their for their nation and and yes it's like I mentioned this is it's been going on I I know for example uh, there is organizations the, the the Rainforest Foundation Norway has also been supporting uh, Dachuar for a number of years uh, at least I believe ten years I know organizations like Amazon Watch and many many very professional very good. Uh, Peruvian NGOs as well are, you know, supporting uh, these indigenous nations of trying, trying to get there, uh, trying to really be able to be autonomous uh, about their their territories. And I think from that point, it becomes quite self-explanatory uh, what kind of damage or what 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 then the, the the extractive industry or an oil company or a mining company, what kind of possibilities they they then have to do bad things uh, in in an area that you know is traditionally an indigenous area area however hasn't been hasn't been titled um and usually is given uh, uh on a lease for at least 30 years uh, to a, to usually a foreign mining or or oil company you know yeah so maybe kind of going back to your original work, what what were you seeing were the issues where these these mining or oil companies were coming in? It was contaminating water. It was causing friction within communities. What, what were the main issues that you were seeing were were problematic? Yeah, you know, I'm going to be really blatant about this because it's just a social environmental disaster that they leave behind after five decades of presence there. Um, well, that that's the short version. Uh, of course, it, there's incredibly fine nuances. Uh, it, it's a very complicated um, socio-economic construct, or, or that that's that you know that that's the result of of their coming in. Um, to speak on much more simple terms, yes, a, um, especially in the first decades, uh, there's been total impunity. Uh, the first probably three decades uh, from the 70s until the 90s that oil companies um, 
well, they're dumped, they're all their, they dumped all their toxic waste uh, directly into the forest, directly in, into, <clears throat> into the rivers, uh, into the backyards of, of these indigenous communities, into the hunting grounds, into the, the cochas, the lakes where they were fishing. Um, and it, this, this, these are, ex- like I mentioned, these are extremely, extremely remote regions. So it's also quite difficult for the states to be there and, and supervise. And, and probably those first decades, no one really was interested in that either. And the the sort of the human tragedy that was happening, because it's not just happening the last 10, 15 years, it's been, it's been there. No, we, we hear stories unfathomably, uh, incredibly, uh, you know, of, I don't know, they, they make you really sad. Um, Of entire of entire families or 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 siblings, you know, from ten siblings, maybe two survived and the other one somehow died of some strange disease that no one did, did really knew what what was happening. No, and so and so that impunity and that in in inability inability of the state to supervise gave them sort of like a blank card to, to just do whatever. And obviously, they usually just do what's cheapest for them. That's just dumping uh, their waste. And if there was a leak, uh, they would just cover it up or just leave it there. I've seen, obviously, I've seen cases where I've seen a case where <clears throat> they have been dumping um, their some 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 waste, some some spilled oil into a local a local lake. And in or instead of trying to clean it up, they just uh, dig a big hole and mixed all the, you know, they mixed all the um, the earth with the oil and sort of tried to try to cover it up. So like covering up, I think is a good word. I think that's what they've been able, they've been trying to do. And, and so like it's in, it's indiscutably, it's not, not without a doubt uh, that there has been, huge impacts on, on, on the local health of both ecosystems and, but also principally the, you know, the person that, that, that lived there. Um, and the other one, the other impacts that are, like I said, much more intricate and, and not that easy to paint black and white, but it's of course all the, the impacts that they had on social life. You know, and you know, some we, you probably hear me speak, or we you might le- read something about Chaikuni, and we when we try to kind of describe what's happening, and you you know you you probably think, oh, well, okay, those indigenous peoples, they're just um, yeah, their rights being infringed on, and they you know they they want these oil companies to go out to get out as fast as possible, but that's not the way, that's not the case, you know? So, so the picture nowadays is much more complicated because um, I've seen, well, no, I've seen actually probably the majority of, of indigenous communities that have been co-living in some way over the last decades with oil companies. Most of them, they did it. They don't, they don't really say we want oil company to go because there's been such an indip- uh, such a dependency has been created uh, by this company as sort of the only actor there. I mean, these companies ha- communities have been totally abandoned by the state. So the only outside actor which can bring some kind of prosperity 
would be the oil companies. So now they also have a lot of power in that sense, and they know that, and they play it really well. And, and nowadays you have you have you do have local people that form, for example, local enterprises that would work directly. Um, however, normally in low-paid jobs, that they would work directly for the company, and they do give some goods. Uh, they company in some places did you know build some hospitals or some schools but when i say that it sounds like you give some credits to the company so you have to always put it into the dimension i mean the wealth that is coming out from these territories is immense and the taxes being rather low in a place like peru as compared for example to other uh, to other oil states like norway is is ridiculously low but still the the tax returns or the royalties that go to the state are immense you know but uh, and then just playing a building a school or or building a hospital and maybe even give give free treatments still sounds like a drop in the water for what you actually have cost no but that's the card they play and that's their version of telling things saying look we're doing also great things we're helping with local development and so forth we're you know we're employing uh, we're employing local people and that's one way to to look at it no um, um and another sadder chapter is as well uh, the social the social consequences that they bring in terms of of course, there they bring in foreign workers. Of course, there's going to be some prostitution. Of course, there's going to be some alcohol there that creates problems uh, in a way. And of course, there's uh, also sexually transmitted diseases, which I believe in in some areas are are quite a big problem. In others, maybe not so. But there is all these. There is all these changes, you know, that the that, that the present of oil companies have been bringing in, and like I said, I go back to what I said the first. If you look at, if you ask me, what they leave behind is definitely no kind of form of of development, but rather a, a socio-economical disaster, no. Mm-hmm. From your experience, and I'm sure it varies considerably, but but in 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 these indigenous communities is. Is it often it's like a democratic rule whether they they're, they're voting on whether these companies come in? Is there some form of like a, a governance where there's a committee that decides that? Is there a single person who's in charge of that? Uh, I mean, I'm sure it varies, but from 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 what you've seen, is there kind of a trend of how those decisions are being made? The the easy answer is that those indigenous communities have or had or have no no say whatsoever uh, on the side whether they would allow for uh, a company to come in and, and you know lease a concession for for 30 years um, so many of those concessions um, were handed out in the 70s uh, in the 80s like i said handed out for 30 years sometimes even more um, and they obviously were not none of these communities were not even asked uh, and sometimes not even explained what is happening uh, you know and so going back to the contamination that was an issue is if you've never seen sort of like oil in the water you won't know that oh now suddenly this water is not really healthy to drink anymore or to use for cooking um there was an important uh, development in 
on an international level, it happened much earlier. It happened, there's an important international um, convention, the ILO 169, which in, in, in 1994 uh, defined the right to consent uh, for indigenous people, to prior and informed consent uh, for indigenous people with regards to any any decision or any any concession or any 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 legal act that would uh, affect their their way of living sort of say um and peru is a signatory to the ilo 169 um and so by signing this actually this this legislation should you know automatically be included in your national legislation um however peru uh, took about took until 2011 until Peru also passed a law that is called the, the consultation law uh, and there's a source there's a small but really important nuance between consultation and consent you you can probably sense what it is but one of them is just like okay we asked you and the other one is said we got to an agreement with you and you're okay, let's say with, you know, with a concession being handed out. Um, and so while the consultation law might not be sufficient, it did uh, somehow, it is important in some way that there's now a, a legislation in Peru that uh, makes it mandatory for, for, for the, for the Peruvian government to consult um, on, I don't know what's the, the, what's the overall term for that or for any kind of um, uh, measure like handing out a concession or building a road or, or handing out a mining concession or, or, or building, you know, something or doing something on your territory. Um, indigenous communities do have to be consulted. But if we go back to what you asked me before about the difference between a community, an indigenous community, and indigenous territory or indigenous land also becomes really important here. Because, uh, because of you, it's quite obvious, if you have a huge territory, well, you, you, you'd have to be consulted as a nation if some development project was to happen there. Now, if you have a sort of a, an oil concession, and that you know might overlap two or three indigenous communities, and even though the fourth and the fifth and the sixth community are just outside the border of this concession, those they can argue that those don't have to be consulted. Whereas in the first case, they would have to co they consult the nation, the indigenous nation. Nowadays, um, what they do is usually uh, try to limit or try to find a limited number of affected communities and they run a sort of a consultation process that also is everything from staging it to something that, you know, can be considered to be a bit more genuine, uh, you know, trying to reach a consultation, trying to carry out a consultation and reach an agreement. Now, I said that this law is, is a welcomed uh, progress in terms of legislation, but it's, 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 never, it's far from enough because, like I said, consultation simply means then, okay, we've done this consultation process. Let's say the Kukama people said no to this, but we are the government, we have the last word, we say yes, and so we go ahead with building this hidrovia or, or building this you know, road that crosses the Kukama territory. 
Yeah. So yeah, they 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 have some rights uh, that have been hardly hard, very hard fought for to get there. But in the end, these are not sufficient. Let's say in that way. You, you mentioned a lot of these concessions were given out in the seventies and eighties, but, but before some of these practices were in place. Do you? Do you see a change now in 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 how those are given out? <clears throat> obviously, there's there's a consultation, but obviously, as you said, that's different than a consent. Um, is there more is there more involvement in that decision making now? You feel, or are things shifting? What, what do you what do you see now? Kind of in, in this day, how that process is being handled? Yeah. I definitely see a change, um, and this is mainly the cre- all credits have to be given to indigenous organizations who've really um, started to empower themselves over the last decade or so. So that change, the change that I see is uh, they don't let themselves be invisibilized anymore, and they manage to organize in many ways, and they manage to uh, to knock and open the doors to political, you, you know, to ministries and, and, and these debates and these meetings. And they are, let's call them, they're more in the face of, of you know, political decision makers. And um, they have gained, um, yeah, they have gained a lot more influence, which really corresponds to them, you know, which they have the right to. But they did that themselves. You know, it wasn't something like, okay, uh, some more, let's say, progressive government came in and said, okay, look, I think it's better we consult and I think it's better we do this. Um, I would give the credits mostly uh, mostly to, to these indigenous organizations that really managed to organize themselves, build capacities as well in terms of organizational capacity, managed to uh, build alliances between, you know, between themselves. Uh, there's a really, really, there's two actually, two important platforms of of, of indigenous uh, organizations that uh, um, that united themselves with others, so they are more stronger in terms of negotiation and, and addressing the state and, and the oil company. Uh, one of them has been working since two thousand and. Uh, 11, I believe, and I believe also Alianza Arcana was, was trying to support those early meetings. Uh, and a bit later, um, there's, a, there's a local movement of indigenous federations that at times include up to 50 indigenous organizations that really have become a very, very strong voice and platform, uh, you know, where they collectively try to advocate and claim claim their rights, you know, their rights to... I don't like the term development, but for everyone that's listening, this probably makes more sense to use this term, no? For 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 better education, for better healthcare, for even yeah, developed normal development projects, uh, some roads and stuff. Um, so so they have uh, they have reached a momentum of of quite they're quite empowered where they really go in and out, let's say, of the lobbies in the government and in in the ministries and they're definitely a force to reckon with and 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 yeah so they won't no longer just be uh, ignored and unheard uh, so that's something that they've reached you no know? um whenever you then ask me well, maybe you're gonna ask me okay what kind of improvements have you then seen 
um, directly in the communities, uh, that's a point where I'm much more disappointed, no? because we have been more or less sometimes closer, sometimes from more distance, following what, what's happening in, in these oil-affected territories. And in terms of, if you put yourself in the shoes of, a, of, a, of an indigenous mother um, in one of those communities living close to an oil, an oil well, um, she will probably tell you, well, nothing much has changed for me even though the government has been inviting for meetings since 2011, even though there has been a multi-sectoral commission since 2011 uh, investigating, uh, investigating the environmental contamination, even though they had called in for several commissions, even though they had called in for several meetings in Lima here and there, the real change is happening in the communities. Things that would make life easier for indigenous communities are at best extremely, extremely slow to happen. Now that's not uh, the same as kind of resigning and saying it's not worth it, um, but it is, uh, it's, it is sort of frustrating. And you can, you can imagine how, you know, local people in the communities do, you know, do get uh, sort of, you know, lose patience as well. It costs so much to to be an indigenous leader or, or an indigenous mother or what what have you, and keep fighting, keep denouncing, keep telling something is not good, and never really see any change. So so you can simply understand how some people you know just accept it or or just don't want to you know don't have the energy anymore to uh, yeah to to fight you know or at a, not fight to 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 work to work for that, and in in terms of you, just simply remembered like when you asked me this question about how how is it different in the eighties from now, I remember one of the things that shocked me the most. It must have been around two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen when I when I just started. Is um, the government had extractivist or pro oil? policy still no um so they still see as a primary resource such as mining uh, and oil extraction as sort of the way to go for development so the, the way to extract foreign capital and move peru forward and of course it's extremely uh, controversial and paradoxical to some of the other uh some of the other compromises that they signed in terms of climate change and you know they but this is typical for many many different governments you know with one hand you you know you tend to be a pioneer and the best of environment with the other hand you sort of you know, for attracting international uh in international capital for for driving forward uh, these industries. And what I was trying to get at is in 2012, well, so they have these licitation rounds where they typically hand out new, um, uh, new concessions, new areas. And obviously the Amazon or the Peruvian Amazon is interesting in terms of oil uh, because in many areas, I guess there is oil stored under underneath this uh, millennial and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of old ecosystem. Um, and 
at that moment, they just had a, started a new licitation round and they uh, designated 80% of the territory of Loreto. And you know, Loreto is big of the northern state where Iquitos is, uh, is the, main, the main capital, but 80% of rainforest territories in Loreto were, uh, were designed to be licitated off uh, to new oil concessions. And I'm just telling you that because that gives you a sort of impression of, you know, how much emphasis or how much uh, importance uh, Peru is putting into these uh, extractivist industries, no? So, so, yeah. So there is some, yeah. Sorry. Do, you think, uh, do you think one of the problems is that, I mean... Often when you're talking, it seems like a lot of these decisions that you're talking about are originating from the national level, from from Lima, from the federal government. Do you, do you think one of the problems is not only that, that the people themselves don't have governance, but that the, the power is concentrated in one area that's very far removed from what's happening? And, and do you sure. think kind of a decentralization of power would be much more beneficial in these regards? Sure. Oh, no, you, you're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, for many people living in Lima, I guess Peru for them is Lima, you know, and the rest is sort of empty territories that, you know, should be exploited, uh, you know, for, for the sake of development in, 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 in the country. No, um, of course, like the decentralization theory or, or strategy is something that has been applied and recognized as important in many other countries as well. Uh, and of course, it was also debated or um, recognized in Peru. And it has actually, they've actually tried to, they passed a law decentralization law. And, you know, they tried to, they tried to do some, they, they, they tried to take some measures in, in, in that respect. And one of them is obviously giving more, giving more power to, uh, to local governments or regional governments as they, they are called, not the different regions. Uh, so, uh, its intention or its yeah its motivation might be the right one or the idea might be the right one but the huge problem is then for example in a in a region like Loreto the capacity of, of people running a, a regional government they are so low or so little um, that you you sometimes <laughs> you think it might be better off if you know if someone <laughs> more centralized would run the show. No, uh, this may be quite controversial. What I'm saying, of course, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but I, I'm mostly saying that because uh, I, I don't I, I don't necessarily know what would be the solution, or I don't necessarily would say uh, blind decentralization is the immediate solution. The long term solution, definitely yes. And decentralizing not only to the regional level, but obviously to the local level to have communities decide themselves. No, but in the short term, uh, this is not really bearing too many fruits. Uh, again, because a lot of the of, of the, for example, the, the funds that then would be channeled through the um, through the regional governments are just uh, either being very. Uh, uh, are being administrated in a way uh, that what's the word for it unprofessionally or they they're just being lost, they're just wasted. And 
as well if you when you start when you start to decentralize you also open uh, you open i think the territory much more for for corruption no because corruption networks are usually locally between you know friends family ties and they're easy, much easier to hide as well you know if, if, if they're just happening in sort of on a local scale and, and so forth that's obviously a personal sort of evaluation of the system but of the of the situation but um what i'm trying to say is that right now just decentralizing everything uh, comes also comes with uh, with its difficulties and and huge problems no so but in the long run obviously in theory this would be more favorable to to governing the the region no Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you see as solutions? I mean, I, I know that's a huge question, but you've you know, you've been doing this for, I guess, almost a decade now. So, you know, and, and maybe that's the second part of this question. I imagine when you when you arrived, you like most people, you probably had certain ideas of what would be good and, and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. Have those shifted now that you've you've been working for 10 years and maybe what are those shifts i mean maybe there are none but if there are what are those and and from the the position you're sitting at now what do you see as as potential solutions that that could be could be done yeah um uh the first question maybe to answer on this uh, in what ways my views maybe have been been shifting um i was thinking a bit about this on, on beforehand um I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I I changed many ways, like my views on on how things are, are happening. But uh, this is very natural and and very logic that this is happening. What I would say is definitely I I gained a much more realistic uh, impression or understanding of what is happening. No. Um, um, like we were, you were asking me about, uh, you know, the impact of oil, uh, of oil companies in the indigenous territories. I tried to explain it's, it's very complex. It's not easy to, it's not possible to just draw a black and white picture. Um, and so these intricacies, intricacies, um, and these, uh, these nuances and, and complexities, I, I simply came to understand a bit more, no. So I'm not sure if this is a change or 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 just like a better understanding that I've been gaining. But I, I would mainly go in that direction. Um, of course, there like we were also touching upon this romanticism. Um, I would probably say yes. I probably held some of that, um, but I wouldn't say I've been extremely romantic about indigenous indigenous cultures and so forth. But I did. I did gain a better understanding, no, and so sort of like perhaps the frustration that you would have earlier that you know why, you know why why would these why would these indigenous groups or communities not simply like want to throw out the oil companies like that and uh, well understanding the bigger pictures and gaining these more in depth understandings of how these constructs works how these you know how social life as well evolves um that definitely has that definitely has changed in, in some ways no for example i was i was um 
I was extremely lucky to to be able to as well to to visit the Matzest. Uh, at some point, uh, with Rainforest Foundation, Norway, we were also uh, working directly with the Matzest community, and um, obviously they were sort of. Can you say that? I mean, for some environmental organizations, perhaps the indigenous peoples that are continuously saying no to oil, no to extractive industries, are are somehow the stars. No, you go like, oh wow, okay, wow, you're fascinated, and and when and why is that? And you want to support them, and you think they're right because you know we don't. This this world doesn't have any space anymore for burning more fossil fuels, so. You can see how they become sort of las estrellas, no, the stars of, of maybe the environmental movement, and um, and of course it's been it's been on my mind to to understand why some why some or most actually you know they'd rather have the oil oil companies there, um, and with the with the Matzes people, they are one of the few one of the one of the two indigenous peoples that I've been able to to visit and. And was lucky enough to, you know, to to work with in a way as well. Uh, the the Matzes and the Achuar, uh, they've been saying no. They've been saying no. We don't we don't want this. And they've actually uh, very successfully until now closed the doors to and closed the access to any outside oil company coming in. And um, with with the Matzes, I was lucky enough to understand why, you know, and. It, I, I tried to. I tried to. I remember trying to write a small article about this, but I remember I was guessing a bit, or it was a sort of a theory. But I feel I got that confirmed a couple of years later. It was simply because they had seen in the sixties. Like the Matzes have recently been contacted. I think in sixty nine uh, by some uh, American nuns, I believe, who opened a sort of a convent uh, in Matzes territory, and they were the first ones to. To be able to have the Matzes peacefully come to their to their village and convent, and you know, not 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 at war, and so it's that's what fifty years, only fifty years since they've been in, in in touch or not in touch because uncontacted tribes, it's not really that they they're not in touch. They they just choose not to be uh, in living in a society with with the outside world, and um, so. So I understood that, and in that moment in '69, it seemed like having the nuns come in um, seemed like sort of a strategy of the oil company to kind of open the way, right? Because at that moment they they already had set their target on Matze's territory to do exploration work, and sort of it, it kind of worked. It kind of worked because the Matze's then on peaceful terms started to to get in touch with with, with the nuns uh, and then uh, later on or quickly thereafter the 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 oil workers came in to do seismic testing and used a lot of matzes people for opening the trails to set the, the their bombs to do the seismic testing and a lot of the matzes people at that moment started to die away because of imported diseases because they didn't have a, an immune system that you know would protect them from sort of these outsized very simple disease I imagine influenza, uh, whatever very simple disease that you know led to the death of of, of a lot of of Matzes people, which is by the way you know a very common story for a lot of indigenous tribes or indigenous groups, indigenous peoples, 
Um, and so, so the version I heard from, from Matze's elders is to still have this memory in mind, to still have this memory in mind that coming, people coming in from outside really just brings negative consequences. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm losing a lot of time on this, but for me, this was a, it wasn't in some, uh, these are some important uh, understandings that, that I gained over the years and, and something very similar, I believe to be true for, for the Achuar people in, in, in the Pastaza in the nor- in Northern Peru, because right next to them, uh, right next to their territories, uh, you have these two uh, biggest uh, or you have the oldest and, and most important oil concession in Peru. And the whole, the whole story I was telling you about the social environmental impact is happening next to, uh, next door. Well, it's still quite a far distance, but it's happening next to that Chuar territory. So they've been having a firsthand experience of their neighbors, let's call them, of, of, of seeing what's happening uh, when these, when these, when these um, outsiders come in, you know, and they've seen that it mostly brings along negative consequences. And so to go back a bit to, to your questions, I believe, um, again, I, I, I don't necessarily believe I, I, I changed my, my views in many ways, but I think I, I definitely got a much better understanding of some of the realities locally. Now, perhaps on the other side, you might say this is a, this is a change or, or a personal development I, I, go, I went through. Um, and this is also something we try to do at Chaikuni, and it, it kind of builds a bit, making a bridge over to your other questions in terms of, uh, you know, what are the solutions? Um, I, I, I did feel a sort of uh, tiredness of having to, what they call here, denunciar, to denounce all the things that are wrong, you know, we speak often, often we speak of uh, defender, human rights defenders, um, and fighting against something. And, and, and this kind of language, um, I understand that it's extremely important and in many ways reflects reality. Uh, human rights defenders and the way they have to defend themselves, their families, it reflects reality. However, I've come a bit, to, well, it's been an internal battle and I'm still battling it, but I, I, I come to believe that um, it's, it's more beneficial to use positive language if that's possible in some way. Again, like there's cases where you cannot use positive language, but um, I, this as well comes with a personal desire to be more, uh, more solution-oriented. And... Uh, over the last decade or a bit more that I've been doing this work, um, I, I truly and definitely believe that the first step is to secure rights and, and of, of, every, of every person. You know, we, we think of human rights or indigenous people's rights, and a lot of people go like, oh, why do these indigenous people need to have different rights than us? That's a very common argument. That's just very erroneous because we don't speak of for them having different rights than anyone else. We speak of them needing a special attention to their rights uh, so they can be uplifted and enjoy the same level of human rights as everyone else. No. Uh, so 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 when 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 thinking about 
more in, in solution terms, uh, we, I lost the thread there, but what I was going to say is I'm convinced that the first step is guaranteeing these rights, guaranteeing their territory so they have their auto-determination to well, decide for themselves about you know, where to go with development, what to do with their lives. Um, and that was always very clear to me. But then once that step or once you, once you, you leave that or you, you reach that, um, the next step then usually is, is the next question is usually about, about livelihoods. Yeah. So, okay, they have their territory, but yes, we know their territory has been impacted by, you know, oil industry and so forth or overexploitation, whatever the reason. So nowadays, maybe they need something more. They need some, some other way to gain their livelihood. They're much more involved in Western society or it's just a reality. It's just, our society is very dynamic and the way different indigenous groups include themselves or not include themselves in Peruvian society, that, that's up to them and that's very different. It's very dynamic and, you know, lots of different groups choose different ways. Um, and so often then uh, it's a reality that they're somehow uh, implica- uh, within this Peruvian society and that means also, okay, <laughs> we now need money. We now need, uh, you know, we now we need gasoline to for our transport. We now uh, these are always obvious realities, um, and so like, how do you get there? Yeah, for example, if you live in a, in, a, in an indigenous community that's close to a city, well, okay, before you had I don't know 100 hectares of 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 of, of forest where you were able to hunt and gather all your resources. Well, nowadays there's there's no more of that forest. So what do you do? How do you gain your livelihood? So once, let's say, once, let's say, uh, guaranteed perhaps the right to their territory and their human rights, the next step is how they make an income, how they make a living, how, is the, how they gain a livelihood. And that particular question, w- working for all these years, is extremely difficult. And I never really felt I had a great answer or I never really felt there was many best case practices there or in many easy solutions you know of course you've heard of okay conservation you can somehow uh, use the natural resources that you know are then uh, you know growing back or coming back and obviously like that sort of like management natural resource management is one way um and of course in in the world there's there's a lot of good initiatives and, and there is solutions and uh, I'm really, right now, I'm really excited about one of the solutions that Chaikuni is proposing. And it is uh, sort of like a, uh, an agroforestry way of working, what we call a chakra integral. It, it, it seems, to put in simple words and more understandable words for, for people out there, it's, it, you know, it's planting uh, extremely diverse food forests. No, which uh, I think hold an Im- immense potential, uh, many many benefits on on sort of different levels on the on the family level in terms of uh, you know um, uh, obviously food, uh, very diversified food. So in terms of food security, there's there's a big advantage for that. The surplus they can they can sell. Um, 
um, and then there are all the other levels that are very beneficial for society. Uh, the, food, the forest will be growing back. You counter deforestation. You can do something about uh, mitigating climate change. So there's just all these tons of tons of benefits uh, that uh, potential benefits. You know, if you manage to get people to shift from a sort of more destructive way of doing farming in the Amazon, which is usually slashing and burning a plot of land, you know, planting monoculture, perhaps two or three different things, maize, yucca, perhaps banana, plantain. Uh, but that's it. And then after a couple of years, you know, your patch of land sort of is it lost its all its nutrients and you need to chop down a new forest and open a new patch of land and in the model that we are advocating for and we're working with communities now around uh, our permaculture center is is that you no know, like uh, this diverse food forest which you can uh, which which you will benefit from for for a very long time for for you know different the the the, the secret behind it is just like planting things that you will uh, benefit from at different time levels. So this interval, so for example, of course, in the first years, you also plant maize, you plant things that you harvest after the first year. Uh, but then you also have uh, some other elements there that, you know, you, for example, fruit trees that you benefit from in three years, maybe five years. Uh, medicinal plants, that some of them maybe you benefit from in the first year, maybe some of them much later. And probably interesting for for our listeners as well is, let's call it the star of the ensemble is the ayahuasca vine that we uh, we we encourage people to uh, to to plant or cultivate as part of this extremely diverse piece of of food forest no and ayahuasca you will be able to harvest after 5 to 10 years and in terms of where where the ayahuasca market seems to be going in there's a big potential that prices will further go up. And we've done some economical modeling and that, you know, indicate that you can, you can, you can benefit or you can, your income might raise up to 10 times as much as if you did just the traditional slash and burn field over the long run, over the, the, the period perhaps of 10 years. No. So, so again, multiple benefits on all level, for family, for the family, for society, for the environment, uh, and and what have you, no? So, uh, and and for the cultural heritage uh, and and tradition of ayahuasca, you know, because you may you 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 help to support, uh, you know, uh, this 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 millennial tradition of of, of medicinal plants and and ayahuasca, so. Definitely, that if you ask me about solutions, about pro proposals that we're making, about what do I believe in right now, uh, it is that, and 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 I'm happy. I, I believe uh, that Chaikuni is sort of trying to take this more positivist stance, uh, where we try to come up and propose solution, you know, and whether it be permaculture, uh, the permaculture program that we have is. Uh, right now, uh, mostly about uh, you know teaching these agroforestry systems, but it's not exclusively about that. We 
we we work with uh, we work with uh, dry toilets, which definitely also might be a very good solution for for some for some of the indigenous communities out there, which have a lack to save uh, sanitation, uh, you know, and, and 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 a lot of other 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 ways on on living a sort of like ecologically sound life. And some of these things, some of these things that we're developing there within a permaculture center and our program are extremely exciting, and I believe hold a lot of potential, you know, to do good things in the Amazon. And um, and the other thing that I also truly believe in is is the second program that we work with is with with indigenous students. Um, uh, that that come to Iquitos and trying to go for uh, for higher education, and they come from all around this immense territory of Loreto, and you can imagine some of them travel several days to you know just to go to university, and life is difficult for them because they might not have any family ties in the city, insufficient funds. Um, so we try to help out there in many ways, but but uh, the, the the aspect that I really believe in is sort of uh, this interculturality that we try to advocate for, which um, I don't know the term can be obviously debated, but it's 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 different from sort of just accepting a multicultural society and you know make sure that. Uh, different cultural heritages are included included into society it goes much more beyond it goes to a level where different cultures meet themselves on the same level so it's not like dominant uh, uh, dominant peruvian mainstream culture is better than any of these indigenous cultures and it's like trying to facilitate a dialogue on the same level which in reality almost never happens you might think it does, but it never does. Um, and, and so, and so, we do also quite some work with these uh, young indigenous students in terms of, you know, exploring their identity, speaking about it, uh, and and starting to uh, perhaps making a, an exhibition about it, doing some a photo project, a film project about it, and it's really, really inspiring we've seen really inspiring uh, results. Uh, you know, we're speaking about individuals and obviously you, you, you get to know these. Uh, many of them have very powerful stories. They're extremely, uh, let's say, agile and, and uh, resistant and really go through situations that are extremely difficult for them, but they make it. And yeah, we've seen... We've suddenly seen changes, you know, from 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 some of them, pretty much negating that, you know, they have this indigenous uh, heritage, to you know them trying wanting to wear a traditional costume and perform a, a traditional dance at some public event where they participate, no, and we just believe in that that if you if you if you strengthen in some way your identity, you you at the same time are able to open up to other to other identities or other cultural influence and so forth and you just you find like a better and more centered way of you know making your way through these uh, studies and through these universities which are uh, which have usually well zero zero percentage of intercultural approaches you know? so 
it's tough for them, but we 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 find it inspiring to to see the development of of, of many of them. Or I remember when I when I when I recently because I, for for about two years I was running the intercultural education program, and when I recently started, um, I met we, we I met this this person this this girl from the Putumayo, uh, Kichwa girl from the Putumayo who is the first Kichwa girl to have, uh, uh, to have um, finished a, a university degree. And she was, she was very inspiring. She was very strong. She was doing her thing. And again, some people might think, okay, why do you have to include, you know, indigenous culture into mainstream society? I look at it a bit different. I look at her as being extremely empowered of, you know, uh, any extremely empowered Kichwa woman who, who who managed to go through this and managed to find her ways in Peru in society, but that doesn't mean uh, quite contrary action. She she really she really strengthened her her identity in the whole process. I believe, and if I'm not mistaken, in the end, she she and her 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 boyfriend, who actually also was studying, they ended up going back to a Kichwa village in the very far remote uh, distant Putumayo region towards towards Colombia no so so yes these are some of the things we propose some of the solutions we see and some of the things we 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 believe in and some of the things we that make that we still still work at Chaikumi every day <laughs> mm, that's great yeah it's funny i just checked the time and it was 333 so if Matthew's watching, uh, <laughs> out of that. obviously it seems so complex. And, and one of the things that came to mind, uh, I think it was maybe Ben from ICEers who, who mentioned this idea of kind of when the Europeans first came, the, the indigenous people were too indigenous and they needed to be more European. And he was saying, now it's almost switched 180 degrees to where the indigenous people are too European and they need to be more indigenous. <laughs> and it's kind of the same almost really racism in a way, but just from another side that seems to be more progressive. Um, what do you think is that balance? And, and obviously it's so complex. I, I mean, I was thinking... You know, like we were speaking of the Matses, and traditionally the they they would they would tattoo the, these like jaguar whiskers on their their face. And I know from from speaking to some of them and, and speaking to people who've worked with them, often when they went into the city, they were discriminated against because they were seen as as too indigenous and they weren't Peruvian enough. And yet, <clears throat> at the same time this image came to mind of, of when I first started working at the temple and, and sometimes we would finish ceremony working with the Shipibo people. And at the end of ceremony, they would, they would kind of proclaim in Spanish, they would say, Viva Peru. And, and I was almost taken aback by it, by almost this, like this proudness of being Peruvian, you know, from, from a people who have suffered very, very systematic uh, destruction at the hands of, of, of the Peruvian government. And, so what do you think is that balance? And, and obviously, like, I think what you were describing with the working with these kids of, 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 you know, bringing them to university really seems like an amazing way because, you know, it seems like if we go to any extreme, that's where problems begin to arise. If we focus too much on them being indigenous 
as I think we've seen with, with many indigenous groups, eventually they just die out and then there's nothing left of them. And so, you know, this idea of, of, of like empowering them to say like, hey, like, as you said in the beginning, most of this change has happened within. So how do you empower them to become a lawyer, to be able to, to, to know the system, to stand up for their rights, to, to empower them in that way, and yet at the same time maintain their identity? Because on the same, you know, on the same token, I was thinking of, of some of the, the the healers we work with and often when they're working, especially the women, they, they seem very kind of proud and comfortable in their traditional clothes. And yet when they go in the city, they switch to Western clothes. And I would imagine there, there's a kind of a balance in that too. Like to some degree, it's because they feel they fit in more and they don't stand out so much. But also to agree is because they like those clothes. They they feel good. They feel comfortable wearing jeans and, and a shirt and a baseball hat. So I know this is a big question, but where do you see is that balance of, of like maintaining and honoring these traditions and yet not keeping them in a state that's so traditional that they don't change? Because we know, I mean, that's one of the fundamental laws of the universe is, is when things don't change, that's a, it's a state of entropy and eventually they die off. So the only way we evolve, the only way we, we keep flowing with with life and nature is to be in a state of change so where do you see that balance between honoring and holding on to these things and yet at the same time changing with with mm. uh, with how things are yeah another example that comes to mind in in the work i'm doing is obviously a huge part of the work that, that i'm doing that you're also associated with is as you mentioned working with ayahuasca which is this indigenous wisdom which is amazing I mean, as you've probably seen, many people who come down, they have life transforming experiences, things that they mm -hmm. weren't able to get through working with Western medicine. And that's phenomenal. And yet at the same time, as you've probably seen in Iquitos, if someone gets malaria, which is one of the leading causes of death in the world, for the most part, traditional medicine isn't treating that as well as Western medicine. If you take the Western medicine, especially with the strain where we're living, it's it's almost 100% curable, and especially if you treat it earlier. And I've seen many even traditional doctors where they don't treat it with Western medicine, and then they end up getting really sick. Now, again, that's not to say there isn't traditional medicine, because there is, and, and I worked with some of that medicine, but it's different too in that working with some of these plants, it's a very rigorous process to actually be able to potentially build up immunity to malaria. But there's very few people who actually want to go through that process because it's a process of, of, of isolation, of fasting, of working with very strong medicine, uh, which you know really puts you through a rigorous experience. Not many people want to go through that. It's far easier to take that Western medicine. So, you know, that, that's kind of one, another example that comes up. So mm. I know that's a huge question, but, but where do you see is that balance? Yeah, it's a, it's a long question as well. So if I lose the thread, please guide me on, on where to go. But um, <clears throat> first of all, I would, uh, I would start saying that, you know, this is a, it's a personal decision or a personal question in the end. For each and every individual, uh, we sort of, you know, what to take and what to leave from both your, your, your cultural background, your indigenous heritage, and 
the influences that get to you from a different society from mainstream. It's actually funny when you mentioned uh, the example of this person from my Sears, you know, uh, before they were saying, uh, you know, you have to be, uh, how was it? Before you have to be... Uh, the indigenous people to were too more, indigenous. They needed to be more European. And now they're too European and they need to be more indigenous. Exactly, you know, and um, I, I think, well, some to, to some extent, uh, civil society organizations that, that work with that, they probably come in advocating different things over over different periods no like uh, i that 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 was so exemplified to me uh, i i believe i i really i i had really uh, some reflection on exactly what what you just said when 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 working in africa no? because just very recently throughout all the colonization it was like and there it's more recent no like until what the 50s or or in some places even the 60s they were <laughs> colonized uh, and so they were telling them, no, you need to be more civilized, this and that. And I remember how it hit me um, uh, throughout my, my my work with the Rainforest Foundation there, I, as well as maybe a small parenthesis. Um, I, in Peru, I've been to quite remote areas and, and uh, peoples like the Matses who also been just recently, recently contacted. Um, or um, But I've never felt as much in a remote place as 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 one community that uh, we work with in 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 the forest in 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 Congo in central in the Democratic Republic of Congo, way off the radar and and just felt like uh, you know communities entirely lost uh, uh, lost from from the map of the world you know and yeah and it felt. Uh, tragic comic in a way exactly that because just a couple of decades earlier people were probably coming in and saying you know you need to do this you need to be this you need to be civilized and then we were there and telling them no just be who you are just you know maintain your traditions and just be indigenous i this is a very strong a strong memory that i that i still keep from that time and of course yeah i mean that some of your reflection is hitting the point. No, um, in my in my view, if if anything, I think, and and I think also what I've been trying, what I what I believe many organizations have been trying to do, is sort of giving more tools, more tools to any kind of indigenous person or doesn't even have to be indigenous person as well can be a rural person giving these tools to take more um what's the word more informed decisions for themselves right so 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 uh, and and empower them in a way to be in a position where they can make this this decision for themselves Right where they where, where they're not necessarily being told by someone else that the decision that you're making now is the wrong one. You should be more European. You should be more Peruvian. You should be more this. You should be more that. And get to a point where you're empowered enough to say, no, this decision I'm making, taking for myself. See, and so the the, the situations you describe, which might become 
fun, might seem funny uh, for some people, like, you know, like a, an indigenous healer, you being all dressed uh, um, traditionally during the ceremony, but as soon as they set the foot outside the temple, then they would put on their jeans. Um, it's exactly what I meant a bit with, with, you know, when you asked me about have I changed my views, it, it's exactly what I meant, like seeing the things more realistically, you know, because this is simply the way, the way these people choose uh, to integrate things from mainstream societies and other things they don't, you know, and, and, and we always bring this, this, this subject of discussion to a sort of more exotic uh, situation like that one of indigenous peoples and Western societies. But you can take it for yourself. You know, in a globalized world, you, you suddenly have, you suddenly the world opened up for so many different influences or so many different new tools. And you sort of take what you like and you reject what you don't. So I don't know if there's any similarity between this, but for example, you know, uh, I grew up in Europe, so I was able to choose, do I like American, I don't know, rock music or, or do I not? No. Um, but uh, to go back to what I said about the students is, is then, well, if you empower them to be able to make these decisions, like this thing I like and this thing I don't like, but at the same time, I am really strongly, what's the word, centered or, or rooted in, in what I am, in what I grew up with, in the knowledge that I know, in knowing how to live in the forest, in knowing how to manage the forest, in knowing how to co-live with the forest or the spirit world or, or, or my, uh, my cosmovision and I'm centered enough to be able to, able to open up and get all the benefits from the things I see as beneficial from out there that I would like to integrate into my own world. But at the same time, maintain to be able to be proud and, 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 and not, you know, having to go that down the way and saying, no, 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 I, you know, I want to study and then I want to earn, earn money. And then I, but even that, even that example of a person that, you might go that way. I'm, I'm trying to not judge it. It's also, it's also the story of, of, of everyone, everyone's, every, every individual. You know? Some people are fascinated by this, by that, by this career. And so I think, again, to, to maybe sum, sum, sum up, you know, like what we're really trying to do is, is sort of provide them with the tools or, or, or add a little grain of sand in this uh, in this empowerment process that you know we hope to to reach or to offer them, or to offer to to indigenous peoples and and so they in the, in the end can can choose themselves. No, I'm not sure if I kind of sort of I think it was just also much more of a reflection than any kind of answer. But I know you and I will keep having <laughs> these inner reflections about about this situation that seems to be. Uh, so complex uh, on finding yourself, uh, you know, with a millennial uh, cultural heritage or cultural tradition, but, uh, you know, Western society slowly creeping in on you and taking over. And of course, again, you, you then touched upon somehow Western medicine and, 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 uh, 
to treat malaria seems much more efficient, you know, using, uh, using a Western treatment, going to the hospital. And yeah, I, 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 I'm much less knowledgeable perhaps in this field and in the field that you're working with, of course, as you mentioned, uh, I've had my experience with, with Shipibo, uh, ayahuasca ceremonies, the Shipibo medical system, I might have seen some other traditional medicines around in the different uh, indigenous nations that I maybe got to work with. Um, and yet, perhaps, you know, also, yeah, I probably cannot lie, but the fact that my, my own father is a, is a pediatric surgeon, a, you know, has been leading uh, hospitals in the Western style medicine and Western medicine has cured me many times and I gone through malaria. And of course I went to the hospital and of course I took those pills and, and um, just, just to get at the point that of course it's undeniable that Western medicine has made so much progress and has so many benefits as well. Um, but I usually advocate for taking the best of two worlds or of different, of all the worlds of all the, that's also why I believe that diversity is so important. Um, so in this situation, uh, you know, Western medicine definitely, you know, has a lot of benefits. Yes. Do traditional medical systems have a lot of benefits like ayahuasca? Yes. Uh, and so, so why, why sort of shut any of those two out? You know, why choosing from any of them and saying anyone, this is better, this is better. Uh, like when we have all this wealth of different uh, approaches to, you know, to healing something <laughs> that we can choose from. It's like, wow, we, we're like, we're, 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 we're benef we're, we're gifted or we, we're in this fortunate situation where we have, all these different approaches to solving a problem and you can actually choose from, you know, the problem is when you start to negate or when you start to kind of say one of them doesn't work. And when some of these systems start to be lost and that's a very general, general point, you know, some people might, you know, ask you, why do you sort of advocate for, uh, or why is it horrible that some indigenous group or indigenous people is dying out or, or what, what, what's the matter with some, you know, that, that it's happening in Brazil. I think I've just seen a documentary or, or the advertising of a documentary of the last Chuma person having died out. So an entire culture has died out. And so people might ask you, what's the problem uh, with that? That's just the way things go. And yes, in some ways, the way things goes, but it's the problem with that is that we lose uh, knowledge that we know can be extremely helpful in so, to solve some issues or some problem. And so, so that's why diversity is so is so important. And 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 in particularly, of course, like the Shipibo uh, medical system has so much uh, so much to contribute to the world, and, and perhaps as Again, don't consider myself, I consider myself a total beginner in terms of uh, ayahuasca, the, the medical system, GPO medicine. Um, but uh, that's why it's so, so important as well. I think one of the main, one of the main uh, 
things that we should consider from there is sort of this looking at a, a health, human health in a holistic way and not just uh, the symptoms, you know? I, it's a normal thing to, very common thing to say probably, but looking at the psychological state of mind, looking at physical state of mind, looking at the spiritual side of the aspect. And, and, and as far as I've been able to get to know a bit about Chipibo, uh, people healing system. I think that's a very, 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 very important aspect for you know for 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 everyone to to really recognize and 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 I think recognizing is the first step really to being able to open up as well and and being able to allow this cross pollination. It's a it's a fancy word that we use several times, but being able to allow a cross pollination between between different knowledge systems. And uh, I cannot understand how someone would say, okay, we go with our own knowledge system and then we get the best results. No, it's like, if you have so many different opinions and so many different knowledge systems, when, let's try to find uh, the best of both of them and then, and then get really the best out of it. No? So that's going a bit back to why I believe it's really important to, to work for, for, for the conservation. Conservation sounds, it's the horrible uh, term in this way because as we said these 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 knowledge systems are not static they develop and so we don't we don't want to conserve something that you know just because it's old or just because it's been there but 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 uh, sort of you know help to the survival of, of all these important knowledge systems that that are around so yes huge subject and i'm not sure if i lost my way but i i think i i stop here and we could go on uh, speaking about some of these meeting points between different yeah totally different cultures and indigenous or, or not western mestis or what have you you know even even us you probably thought about this as well and you kind of mentioned as well you know uh, what's the role of 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 Western facilitators and I, I assume or I guess I, I've listened into some of your your shows Congrats, by the way, uh, on this. Uh, we're really interesting, and I think really great to hear for a lot of people out there who are, you know, somehow just a little bit interested in in ayahuasca and and in the indigenous cultures. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, some of the subject is exactly that. What, what, how, how the hell some some Westerners start to be facilitators or start to get really, really interested into all these. Uh, indigenous medical systems no and so for me sometimes of course i've been asking myself the same question about okay what what am i doing uh, living in iquitos uh, and 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 leading an ngo uh, you know being sort of in a foreign context and of course look i I mean i since i'm 20 years old i haven't really uh, been living in switzerland anymore i've been living in different countries and sort of just like uh, you need to get to the acceptance that that that's how that's how things are you know it's not it's not anymore about nationalities and you, okay you're there but you can't you can't say you can raise your voice over there and you know most important i we think that you know you're active in somehow partaking in in trying to make society better you know in where you live and 
And of course, that better can also be a subject of discussion. I mean, better, what's better? My version or my view or, than yours, no? So that's also a, a very interesting subject that personally, of course, I've been, I've been battling with for, for all these years, you know, defining a good, finding a balance between, uh, you know, accepting all these, all these differences uh, all these different views and sort of trying to advocate for the right view, which we obviously believe that we do somehow, uh, we are somehow right in, in sort of advocating for basic human rights and for it, for diversity and so forth. No. And, and of course, how, how, in what way, um, uh, in what way this affects you as well? In what way it feels right, uh, you know, trying to be sort of calm and at peace with yourself. But when sort of injustice hits, uh, how much then you really put yourself out there and try to fight or struggle or support people in their struggle for justice. It's a difficult, um, we call it a, a, a walk on the on the summit where you fall down to the left and to the right, it's a difficult balance, balancing act uh, sometimes because uh, I truly also believe in, in this saying of, you know, you want to change the world, change yourself first. So like work on, on your own uh, spirituality, if you want to call it that, you know, and, and, you know, by being a great person, you, 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 you infect your, your surroundings and actually, I believe I I had the the honor or or the luck to meet several people and I truly believe in that. I've seen people that, you know, just by simply being a good person affect affect their surroundings and manage to change. And sort of finding that balance between that, you know, working on yourself and and, and trying to accept things, but then also is sometimes it's extremely hard to not being affected by injustices. And obviously that's one of the main motivations why I do this work and why in the first place wanted to do this work. So you can see the contradictions there as well. And, and, and the, the difficulty of navigating this, this, this lie, this life or, or, or this way, this way of living, um, it's just sort of an extension of the of the reflection that you put forth, you know, with within this meeting between indigenous, non-indigenous, uh, different cultures, modernity, if you want to say it, Western medicine, uh, traditional medicine, but and then I'm adding that one, you know, inner conflict uh, versus outer conflict, so to say, no. So yeah, yeah, Jason, it's uh, it's all all complex and uh, <laughs> we're still obviously trying to trying to figure out what it's all about i guess <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's wonderful <clears throat> you you mentioned this idea of kind of like a dissolving of nationality and and obviously you you come from switzerland but the last 10 years you've been living in peru you've been doing your work now you're married to a Peruvian woman, you have children. Has that, has that changed you? Is there, you know, being a father, uh, I, I would imagine there's some sense now of you have roots of, of this is like your life now. This is, does that give you more 
kind of passion or purpose, you know, having a family, having children, being, being, you know, really a part of, of the wider community now that you're working with as well. Um, has that changed you or is it still your, you, you, you feel that same purpose and, and it's just, you know, the, the kind of the, the calling that you feel is just, it, it's as as strong as it's been. Yeah. Um, what a good question. Uh, you know, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange part of me is that, um, I, I just the other day I told my wife that you know soon as soon I'll get to the point where half of my life I haven't lived in Switzerland um, but there's something there's something in me that 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 still feels I'm not sure if it's right to say very Swiss but I, I still identify so much with my upbringing, with my childhood, with, I guess, with the country that I have these experiences from. And so, so, so to say with Switzerland, but I, I feel there's something there that is very strong and that, I, that I'm not going to lose. But uh, that's not the same thing as saying, I, I still feel very Swiss or I still, uh, I, I, <laughs> You know, I, I, I sometimes feel I'm not very much connected to it anymore, but I'm somehow holding on to it and, and even to some extent feel proud or maybe not proud, but I feel extremely grateful, grateful for, for all, for, for, for all the, the upbringing that I have, for all the, for all the, the commodities, not in terms of material commodities, but all the all the things I, I receive in my life for growing up in, in in a country like that, where life is, you know, it's mainly very easy. You know, so I, I feel grateful for that in some way as well, as sort of a a a, a, a commitment crew from that, or a sort of a what's the word for that? I, I felt the responsibility uh, to do something about for having had such a such a privileged uh, upbringing and, and you know like no everyone had that and, and i think from there as well this this grew in my in myself you know trying one feeling like an, a responsibility to to be able to to guarantee some 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 of that to others and um and in the meantime i'm i'm sure i'm not even i don't know i i don't know how how much percentage of swiss is still in within me uh, <laughs> uh, but at the same time it's funny when 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 my wife asks me or tells me you should get the peruvian uh you should get peruvian nationality i'm, I'm i i sense a resistance to it to that no uh, despite the fact that i've been living here for so much so much time and obviously my two kids uh, my two boys are, are are peruvian swiss peruvian but i also put a lot of emphasis in that that they're uh, swiss peruvian or peruvian swiss um, and uh, i feel it's somehow important as well for them to to learn my language i'm making a quite a rather difficult uh, effort to 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 have them learning my language in a in a sort of a context where I don't really speak Swiss uh, at all, you know. Um, but I think that's important. And then you ask me whether whether that has changed me. You know, uh, I don't feel it gives me more um, 
uh, what's the word for that? Um, it gives me uh, it gives me more, more the right. Let's say I think I couldn't find the word, but it doesn't give me more or less the right to be able to to speak up as about sort of some of the some of the issues I feel are right or wrong in in Peru. Um, um, I, d- I never got that feeling. Uh, despite having, you know, now, okay, now you have Peru and kids. Now you're actually, I, I, I rather feel, I feel annoyance with that. Um, when, when, when sort of some people until today sort of come up with this saying, you don't really have the right to, you know, to, to opinionate, opinionate because you're, you're a foreigner. You're not really from here. Uh, one of the, one of the, 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 the examples that hit me that I remember in one of the meetings is that there is this um, really, really respected uh, anthropologist called uh, Alberto Chirif, uh, 150% Peruvian, but he has a, a sort of a wider complexion, but he's probably the most knowledgeable anthropologist on the Peruvian Amazon. And in one of the meetings, he was sort of attacked saying he's, yeah, legitimacy was the word I was looking for. He was sort of criticized for his legitimacy, uh, or, you know, raising the voice on, on some issue just because he sort of had this Spanish looking complexion. And I think he was even, 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 uh, even insulted as some kind of, you know, uh, post-colonial, I don't know what, uh, coming from Lima and opinating and so, so, so that's, that's, um, that's something that actually really much annoys me. I do believe, uh, it's correct to be humble about opinionating about in a context that you, you know, maybe you came from outside, maybe you haven't spent all your life there. So, so just be humble about that. Be humble about your opinion, be humble about knowing that you perhaps, you know, don't hold the full truth. Uh, but it, it doesn't, it shouldn't keep you from, you know, being able to, to raise your voice and know, I don't feel I need it first to have two kids in order to get the legitimacy to be able <laughs> to be able to work to work in in in, in what I'm doing, you know. And uh, but yes, if you ask me whether whether this changed my life, of course it changed my life in many ways. Um, these two uh, incredible small boys, small creatures have been coining my life and, and, and they have a firm grip on my life as well. And uh, they take up so much space and, and that's fine. Uh, I mean, it compensates with, with the hugs you get in the morning or any time really. Um, but yeah, I, you know, to be very frank, I mean, I've done different jobs, different, I've worked in some different positions. I've been in in difficult situations, in challenging situations. And uh, yeah, but uh, it's very easy to say that uh, being a parent has been by far the most difficult task (laughs) in life uh, that I, or the most difficult job in life that I, that I have gone through, no? And so this has been extremely challenging and also bringing them up in in an environment where neither of us really has any extended family you know, and you can imagine as well, now the pandemics uh, has been extremely complicated. Um, I'm not sure if, if <laughs> I always, we, we spoke with my wife about 
single people or young couples, you know, that probably spend uh, the quarantine uh, with by themselves or with their partner and, you know, just doing all these amazing things, uh, seeing movies and reading this and this and this and that book. And uh, yeah, I mean, for, for, for parents, this, this reality was very, 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 very much different. Um, you know, uh, you know, you try to bring, uh, you try to uh, bring both uh, the job uh, and practical things like going for grocery shopping, uh, health questions, uh, and at the same, you know, being a parent, and in these times, they even they even uh, required you to assist them in in being their that's being their their teacher as well, and you know, teaching them you know, uh, school subjects. So I think we were multitasking on several different levels uh, throughout this period, and and somehow somehow it continues. So this was very much personal, a bit withdrawn from, from the things we've been speaking about in terms of uh, work at Chaikuni. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a ride. It's, it's a new chapter. It's, it's extremely challenging, frustrating, but magical and amazing at, at the same time, no? Mm, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned a little bit about plant medicine. <clears throat> Do you feel that's had a, an impact in your life? Uh, I know you haven't worked with it a lot, but the, the times you've you've worked with ayahuasca, do you do you feel like that's been a, a part of your journey, or, or it's it's still something that you feel is very kind of a different world, and, and maybe you'll explore it one day, or who knows? Mm. I I don't feel it's a different world, but I do feel it's very in its still in its initial stage, you know. Um, even though, yes, I've been almost, I've been in Iquitos almost 10 years. And, and uh, part of the story goes that when, when Alianza Arcana or Matthew invited me to come down, um, he, he, he right away said, you know, uh, you, 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 I want to invite you to a, a, a workshop uh, in sort of, uh, you know, in, in the perspective that plant medicine is influencing or, or guiding uh, a large part of our work and so so i did i did this uh, i did this uh, this workshop back in 2012 and i did have a, a strong strong experience uh, at that moment uh, i also came came from a from a from a uh, almost two months uh, retreat, yoga yoga retreat and and then so it was very helpful at that moment and sort of you know, where I was kind of soul searching in a way as well uh, in that in that part of my my life right there, and so I did have uh, some deep experiences, I believe, uh, but I believe it to be different from 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 what I hear from other people in terms of vision. I think you and I spoke about this, and I always really much appreciated speaking to you about it as well. And I assume that's the great work you're you're doing as well. We you know we, with the visitors to the temple as a facilitator, and it's been very helpful for me as well to speak to you or or other other facilitators or people. Obviously, I became friends and to speak to to you guys about this. But in general, I I don't necessarily always feel very comfortable in in, in like in sharing in the sharing circles, uh, especially because I believe 
you know their their experience are like on another level and i'm trying to i'm starting to picture making this pitch like okay it doesn't really work for you or your experience is different you haven't had those visions where suddenly everything becomes clear in your life so i'm usually not not very fond of 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 sharing too much on 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 my experiences rather than in in a one-to-one uh, context, uh, you know, and, and again, like uh, the readings or interpretations from people like you do help to put this in context. And and I believe after that, I uh, after that workshop, I never went back to another workshop, but I I went many many times trying to you know to those community ceremonies, and I continue to be extremely interested uh, in in opening up and learning more of this world, you know, and then. And it's been on my list and I would love to go back and do some more work. You mentioned diets. For example, a diet is something I've never done. It's something I, I dearly, dearly would like to do very soon. Uh, of course, as well, bringing it back to the subject of, of family and children, this has become more difficult in, 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 in the context where I, you know, where I, where I have to <laughs> I have some other responsibilities. But I definitely would like to explore more of it. Um, so I feel like I'm very much in initial stage and, you know, I, I do hope to get some more, some more possibilities to, to, to work with, with, uh, with, with these, these wisdom keepers or these really uh, wise onayabos um, or, or, or curanderos and to learn a bit more about that. Definitely. And, and, and my experience has somehow been, um, you know, definitely many like brought me a lot of uh, important realizations or reflections. My ceremonies or the ceremonies I remember most are where I had like these moments of of of, of reflection, you know. And the other thing I remember are like uh, perhaps the physical pain or or the physical difficulties to go through and and sort of drawing parallels to to real life. This this definitely helps you, you know, to you know, to sort of, in a way, become stronger, I guess, or, or in a way to, you know, that these, these, these are, these, these, these difficult situations are natural part processes of life and, and you will go eventually go through it, you know, and to gain more trust in somehow in, in that. But then, um, I don't know, I'm not sure about yourself, but I guess like this, this is, this strengthening your own, uh, yes. Again, spirituality, sometimes I don't like it too much, but strengthening your own personality becoming secure of yourself i believe is like a, probably a lifelong project no and um you go up and down and and then and, and you have different periods and you find yourself in different contexts where maybe you do better than others and um, but i definitely believe uh, that, that 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 ayahuasca work holds a special place you know together with with other things that you can can do for yourself um and, and and so it's definitely something i would very much like to 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 explore a bit uh, more in, in depth uh, and obviously also becomes uh, yeah it becomes more special perhaps in a sense of of by you know you by by over time getting to know uh well better the culture the people behind it we also do some work with uh, we also work with the uh, with some Shipibo federations uh, in, in the Ucayali region, you know, and 
and sort of slowly but surely, you know, getting acquainted in, in this world as well makes it makes it special in a way, you know. And and I think this is something you might had in mind to get into it, but I I would really also like to 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 touch upon that. And it's also something we as Chaikuni and as Temple we are discussing in other in other uh, arenas or in other spaces. Um, I definitely feel that um, it's so important to to recognize this huge knowledge system behind the medicine, no? behind ayahuasca. And um, I'm learning, I've learned over these last couple of days that uh, it's becoming ever more popular in, in you know, in the West, uh, in, in psychedelic medicine and sort of, you know, but Western-based sort of kind of, even I heard even there's some... Um, some inten intentions to, you know, put ayahuasca in a, in a pill or, or something in that direction. And, and that doesn't feel right. And um, I, I think it's impossible to separate uh, the benefit, the benefits that you can get from, from, from ayahuasca or other psychedelic, psychedelic treatments. It's impossible to benefit it from its root, from its from its from its knowledge system that's behind. Whether it's ayahuasca or other plant medicines, like peyote, they always come from millennial traditions. And and if you if you if you separate that, I feel like you totally alienate it from its source. And and that I am I'm a bit worried about, to, to say the least. And I, I really would encourage people to not do. And in terms of I understand not everyone has the possibility to maybe travel to uh, to Peru, and so I, so I wouldn't say okay they shouldn't they shouldn't benefit from from ayahuasca in that sense by you know maybe having a ceremony in the West, but I definitely do believe that it's really important that people try at least to sort of investigate a little bit into what when you when people are interested in, in drinking ayahuasca you know to to make a small effort at least to uh, investigate where where does this come from and not separate it from like i said from its from its cultural from its from cultural history or knowledge system that's behind it and a very personal um experience that i i remember like it was yesterday was during that workshop at the temple of the way of light in 2012 um uh, you know uh, with your group there's always like a sort of community forming you form stronger or less stronger bonds with the people that are your other pasajeros you know uh, but I remember especially at that moment because I came down principally uh, motivated by wanting to you know work on indigenous people's rights and uh, principally an interest in indigenous cultures and I remember the frustration of I don't know, maybe 70, 80% of the groups, of 78 or 80% of the group not, not even being remotely, seem, seem to be remotely interested in, any, in anything, anything beyond, you know, the effect that ayahuasca has on you, uh, left alone, sort of where it comes from, what are the shipibo, why, you know, and uh, expanding on that, what are the problems nowadays with the, with the Amazon and so forth. So these things are, to me, extremely connected. And I would very much advocate for for them to be part of this whole healing, maybe that you're looking for when you know when when getting interested in in ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. 
Well, one thing you mentioned in the beginning, and it was just kind of my my reflection. I, I could be completely wrong, but you you mentioned this idea of of something you found really useful in the work you're doing now is you know, kind of instead of always focusing on the negative and, and, and calling out all the bad things, like moving towards this solution-oriented view of, of actually even noticing the words that we use and how those are either divisive or they they unify. And, you know, with the caveat that I think you express really beautifully, which is, you know, sometimes you just have to be really honest. And if something is bad, you have to call it bad. Um, but in general, there's, you know, use, you <laughs> use this word onda for ikitos and, and kind of in a similar way, like the work we're doing, what is the onda behind it? What's the energy behind it? And, and there's an energy that mm. divides and there's an energy that unites. And I don't know if that came from plant medicine, but, but certainly for me, that's, that's, I think, one of the key aspects of, of what plant medicine is, is pointing towards. And, and I think that's actually deeply rooted in, 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 in these indigenous traditions that work with medicine. I mean, even in that process of dieting, there's all there, there's, there's this very, I think, concerted effort of being very mindful of, of our thoughts, of our words, because when we when we have thoughts that divide, negative thoughts, when we use words that, that that harm, they would say that actually affects our diet, and by affecting our diet, it affects us. And and especially when we have medicine, those things become even more magnified. And and so I think in in all of these positions, like the the more we go into it, the more we actually have to be careful with those things, with our words, with our energy, with our 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 mission in a way. Mm. And, so I don't know that that just came to mind, you know, but, but yeah. I think also, you know, a lot of times with these plant medicines, they, they work in ways that, that sometimes we just don't even understand, but that we begin to embody somehow. And, and maybe one day we connect them. But um, I think a lot of these plants work in, in very mysterious ways too. So um, yeah. Sure. Well, and maybe just to jump that. on That's that, it, you know, I, I maybe, yeah, just to, just to, to to jump in on that, it's something that 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 I'm, I might say and that I really I I truly believe in, and it's an intention. But on a, uh, to to practice it on a, on an everyday basis is also very difficult. But we we have set ourselves the intention for Chaikuni to use more positive language, you know. But as I try to point out, if you're confronted with with, with horrific human rights breaches or or, or injustice, it's sometimes really difficult to uh, to maintain that language. But the intention is there, and it also in my experience, you know. Um, it does something to you as well, like you just explained, like you know you you have a positive mind or a positive language and it somehow changes your life to being much more positive and to expand on that even i believe what we call successful people or or, or happy people or whatever you you want you want to want to call them they, they are positive people so positivity brings you there uh, that said I, I i struggle with it myself sometimes it's not it's not an easy way to go and um, also in the work we're doing, sometimes it's much easier to, you know, to, to slip into more, 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 more negative mindsets and, and, and scenarios, no, but yeah, that, that, that's the idea. And, and, and I think it's extremely important to, to be able to, yeah, to, 
to go to, to to go ahead with the example of we speak spoke about earlier, you know, with, with solutions. Uh, and personally, also a bit tired of of, of criticizing, criticizing, hearing criticism. Um, because it's so complex. You, everyone can have some kind of uh, opinion or criticize this and that, um, but not a lot of people have <laughs> solutions, you know. And so, again, again, uh, sometimes it's beautiful words, but we're trying to go there. But uh, walking the walk is not not the same. It's a it's a struggle every day, and yeah, we're still in in, in that in that struggle. <laughs> yeah. What are what are some other issues? You, you mentioned oil, obviously, is a big problem. Mining, different extractions, uh, are obviously, indigenous rights, uh, helping people to empower themselves, to, to to understand the systems they're operating in, to to make better choices for themselves. Are there any other kind of big mm. topics that you see as as really important to the work you're doing, or, or maybe even issues that aren't being talked about that, that you think are important? Well, no, we pretty much spoke about the, the spectrum that, that we've, we've worked on. Um, you can go into more details on some of the specific human rights uh, in, the context of, um, in the context of the whole oil circuit uh, in northern Peru. We often speak about the right to water because obviously water is, is one of the main necessities and you need to have clean water because otherwise, obviously... Uh, there's no quality of life for you uh, and your surroundings. And so that's something that we have definitely uh, also sort of set our focus on. Um, you know, it also goes with what I was telling you about the Nanai River. So actually from the very beginning, the Alianza Arcana and Chaikuni have been about the water, uh, defend, defending or promoting access to clean water. So again, do you defend or do you promote? That's You can choose uh, the word. Um, and so that's something we, we wanted to intensify our, our work in uh, over the next years. We don't necessarily currently have sort of like these engineering uh, capacities of, of an environmental scientist that would know, you know, how to purify water. We do have some knowledge about more, um, more simple permaculture processes, like maybe simple filters and you know, alternative filters, you can use a lot of, you can lose, use a lot of natural materials that give you better quality uh, to water. But when, when, it, when we speak about the contamination with, with heavy metals stemming from the oil industry, I somehow believe that that's even a different level, no? But uh, the right to water and maybe water filters is something that we have set our eyes a bit on, but haven't really been able to to, to work too much with, but we definitely would like to go there. And, and the other and the other central issue that we have been uh, working for many years, and you you also remember Sarah, who was the director of the Chaikuni Institute before me, and Sophie uh, also started really focusing on 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 female leadership, uh, women's rights, and 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 you know recognizing their role and recognizing their crucial role in all of this no so so with that not necessarily going into perhaps a gender debate uh it's definitely been touched upon but you know looking looking a bit at that looking a bit at the super important role that women women defenders or women activists or women advocates uh, really do and and the difficulties that they live in and the sacrifice that they they 
they bring to you know to to defend their communities, to defend their families, to defend uh, forests, waters. Um, is something is something we we have been doing for for many years now, no? And then mm, it's becoming a bit more. Let's say people open a bit their eyes a bit more. I've also seen other organizations uh, increasingly putting a focus on that and 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 affronting female voices in 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 all of this, no? Um, and it's something we've we like I said we've been working for several years, and we definitely would like to get more 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 into in, in the future in the near future uh Chaikuni has been working over the last two years with uh, an all-female uh, kukama uh, association in the lower maranyun river and we have a really we have a really good feeling about uh about the work that they're doing about the el compromiso about how 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 these these females leader are really are, are really genuinely looking out for the communities, and we would very much be interested and hopefully manage to get a project, and we are working on that um, to to intensify our work with them and and principally perhaps working on let's say access to safe drinking water, but also uh, the agroforestry work that I spoke about earlier. Uh, to be able to uh, work with them on that, and and usually when we start the agroforestry work, it's we want to start it with sort of exploring, exploring their uh, ancestral knowledges in that field. You can call it like uh, rainforest farming or indigenous chakras or 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 whatever you want to call it. And usually there's quite a lot of knowledge there. But it's not being practiced anymore, and it's what we spoke about earlier. You know, it's been looked upon as sort of like, well, that's old, that's backwards. So why don't you, you know, produce for the market? And and you know, so we usually want to start a sort of like this work with a sort of a a dialogo de saberes, a dialogue on 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 knowledge and and wisdom, and and sort of starting to dig, dig a bit, you know, in in their cultural and knowledge systems. And we, yeah, like I said, we would very much like to to expand this work. And um, uh, yeah, you know, we spoke about positivity. Seriously, I, I, I over the last couple of months, maybe one and a half years, and I, when people got to know uh, our approach to the chakras integrales to agroforestry. Um, you know, people really resonate with it, and and you know, think we're 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 doing something something right, and this is definitely one of the solutions. And we get a lot of good, great, uh, exciting feedback from people. And I believe also we are slowly but surely connecting, you know, with with organizations or foundations that you know can make significant contribution to support us in doing that. And we're developing on the ground, um, you know, the hard work really there is not necessarily having the idea or, 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 or having the theory and yeah, this is going to work. The hard work is, is working with communities, is on the grassroots, is, you know, being able to persuade, being able to persuade a family to shift from something that has worked for them to something that's entirely new. They don't really know is this going to work, you know. The other thing has worked for them, even though it just gave them enough to live, nothing more, but it has kind of worked. And so this is really, um, this is really tedious, let's say call it tedious groundwork. Um, 
it's, you know, to get people to to believe in the same thing that you believe can work, and 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 slowly but surely, this is a long this is a long process, but slowly but surely, turning those uh, unsustainable uh, agricultural practices into something that's actually regenerative and and creating creating abundance. Um, and so, so we are in that. And again, we've been connecting with, uh, let's call them some more powerful actors over the last year. They've been approaching us, and and we're doing the we're doing the hard work behind that to get these uh, these, these projects or this 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 field work upscaled and 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 expanded and and you know and, you know make get a, make a bigger impact with with and and bring the solution. Uh, to more to more communities and to more to more individuals to 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 do what we we usually have a slogan we say you know we we work hard to regenerate the amazon you know it's it's thinking big uh and starting small and uh, there's nothing wrong with thinking big and i definitely and truly believe and uh, that's what we spoke about today you know like over the course of my my 10 plus uh, professional career this is something one of the things i really 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 believe in and so the potential is great and um uh we simply hope to to intensify this and and expand and then chaikuni as a, as a team we're also i would consider ourselves as a small to medium-sized local ngo and i i see the possibilities as pretty much unlimited in a way um again if you are if you manage to do all the groundwork the hard work that i didn't speak to you today that's not as sexy or as fancy as as, as it sounds you know with the, with the agroforestry and abundance and regenerating the amazon but the hard work is you know being able to find the right people and particularly in a context like iquitos uh, it's not that easy to find local know-how uh, uh, you know, but we we are looking for those uh, cracks. We are looking for those super motivated people who who really want to make a difference. And with a rather comparatively comparatively small 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 uh, budget until today. But again, if you if you're willing to think big, I, I think the limits are extremely few for for all the positive impacts and solutions. We can work with and, and slowly but surely bring, you know, bring and, and diffuse in, in, in our region and, and maybe beyond as well. So that part is extremely exciting. And yeah, some of the motivation why we're, 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 we're in, in it, we're, why we're doing what we do, no? Yeah. If someone is listening to this and, and, and they feel called to, to help in some way, what are, what are ways that, that you think they can do that? Because it like a lot of things, it seems like there's a lot of conflicting theories about that. And and mm. a lot of those theories also seem to come from people who are very <laughs> far removed from actually being on the ground and, and doing the work. So, you know, some people may say support Amazonian products with your with your capital, with your money. Some people would say that's exploitative or uh, coming down and working with indigenous people with medicine. And then other people would say, well, that's corrupting them. Um, is it through, you mm. know, working with uh, an NGO like Chaikuni through through capital? through giving money, through choices, uh, you know, even Amazon conservation. Are, are there ways that you found that, that people uh, 
because probably most of the people listening to this are living outside of that area. You know, most of the audience is, is from the mm -hmm. U.S. or Europe, Australia. Um, what do you think are impactful ways that people as an individual can, can help to support in some of these ideas you're talking about? Yeah, yeah you, you're totally right. It's like a mind-blowing uh, web of uh, complicated things of knowing what to do is right and knowing what to do is wrong. No, do I support this and that product that comes from this and there or, or, or not? Or will it have some negative impact? Should I, should I support an Amazon plant healing center that's owned by a foreigner or should I not? It's, I, don't have the, I don't have the answer to this. Um, what, what is most important is that you, you have to do the research yourself and feel comfortable with supporting and believing in supporting what you want, what you do support. You know, unfortunately, look, of course I can, you know, anyone that really wants to <laughs> donate money to something and doesn't know where to donate, okay, uh, call me up and I will give you a few, uh, a few options that I really truly believe in because I, like you say, I, you know, I work in this field and I've seen things that I think work and others that I don't think that work, no. But if you, if, so if you, if you don't want to do that investigative work for yourself, then yeah, um, uh, you know, get in touch, ask us, and, and we will recommend you things like um, the Sacred Headwaters Initiative, uh, uh, international NGOs like Amazon Watch play an important part, the Rainforest Foundation play another different part. Um, uh, what, what have you for us people program? I, I don't really want to start to do a list about that, but I also don't want to omit anyone who's doing really great work. Um, but you know, start to start to investigate, and if you can spare just a little bit of time, you know, send a few emails or really ask someone who who really knows. Um, and yeah, and in terms of in terms of buying products from the Amazon, do the same. No, because um, one of the one of the more exciting ways of of perhaps being able to contribute to a sort of a sustainable or even regenerative regenerative development of this region and being able to avoid further deforestation would be to uh, to buy Amazon uh, product products that are, of course have been produced uh, sustainably and um, and somehow can be there's even maybe certified certified products. Uh, they can be there can be products directly produced by indigenous communities, um, and these are great ways of of helping. You know, they 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 will cost a little bit more, a little bit extra when they get to the United States or to Europe, but this is definitely worth it, and you do help the cause. Again, uh, I will not be able to to tell you, okay, this trade and this trademark and this trademark or this and this product is is good and this and this not. This requires some some level of investigation by by you know by every individual who wants to to do the to 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 spend something to contribute to the cause. Uh, that's just one thing. Um, I was thinking more as well in the in the directions of okay, how what can you do because donating money or buying products is one. Um, of course, you can always uh, you can always do different things to further the cause. You can do local rallies. You can. You can advocate for people to, for example, buy these and these products, just go beyond in your own uh, buying uh, power, just to, you know, convince your, your, your people, your friends as well to, to, to buy the right products or to support the right organizations. And, 
and you know spread the word um spread the word when sometimes when you're doing some work you 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 feel surprised how maybe little i catch myself over and over again speaking about something and feeling that i speak of very uh simplistic things that a very simplistic things that everyone knows about and i start to feel stupid for speaking about it is thinking that everyone knows but uh, of course i also uh, noticed that it's not like that so so people might not be too aware of what what's going down uh, what's going on in, in the amazon and and actually the crisis we're living in terms of uh, in terms of its pretty much 5 to 12 uh, <laughs> in terms of the amazon rainforests and and the connectedness, you know, the, the the connectedness of you can think, okay, well, I'm I'm living in the United States. What what does it concern me to have like a forest, the Amazon forest standing? It's obviously a primary climate regulator uh, that regulates global climate, and um, there's a there's a there's a, a branch of 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 climate scientists or of scientists of amazonian scientists that are predicting you know that we are extremely close to a tipping point is a theory if you if you if you if if an ecosystem reaches a certain point you tip over the you you tip over the border and you will not be able to reestablish yourself anymore and in terms of uh, in the case of the amazon that would mean uh, slowly but surely, uh, the Amazon would lose its humidity and and and, and all these benefits of you know uh, of regulating climate and and being able to produce rain or, or produce first clouds and vapor and all this all this more scientific stuff. Um, it would lose all of that and slowly but surely turn into a savanna-like ecosystem. And I don't believe we have any idea what that means. Uh, to the to the global climate and that's why i'm saying it actually um it actually affects all of us in in some way just the other day i read a, i read a headline of a new report that came out that said that two-thirds of the original rainforests on the world by now have been have been uh, or entirely destroyed or or degraded no and so these are these are very alarming uh, alarming alarming uh, they, they're statistics but they're not they're not just numbers. These are very alarming realities uh, in a way that everyone should be concerned about and everyone also can do something about. And if you, if you, of course, if you want to help in some way to, to what we do, if, you, if you're convinced in a way of, of that, what we suggest as some of the solutions, that this is part of the solution to this immense problem, then uh, again, it's not just about donating. Of course, we, we do have PayPal account. We do have uh, some projects that are on, on a platform that's called Global Giving, where we also receive uh, donations. But you can do so much more. You can, you know, you can you can share the articles we share on our social media. Uh, you can you can you can share publications in your school. You can do a, a school project on I don't know on on on, on agroforestry or or food forests and and you know speak to to your friends to your to your fellow students to your family about this uh, and again share share our work in in the, in the spaces that you feel are 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 relevant and 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 yeah and and get in touch even like um it's interesting we we get a lot of we get a lot of emails um 
some people even uh, you know want to offer their services maybe nice to say as well at the end here um, we do uh, sometimes accept volunteers actually volunteers are amazing uh, they often give an amazing contribution to to the work we do um, and we, we we currently don't have a, a regular volunteer program but we're working on that to get that established for for permaculture to have people to come and, and work in our permaculture centers uh, but generally we if we get interesting volunteer proposal we usually we usually evaluate them and, and sometimes we actually invite them uh, and we have people doing interviews with us and, and you know just whatever you can do to sort of spread the message the the positivity that sometimes isn't so positive <laughs> in terms of what's happening to 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 this ecosystem no but spreading 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 a message of it's it's possible it's late but it's still possible to to do something and it's not only possible it's it's very much necessary as well well stefan we're uh, we're coming up in 3 hours <laughs> <laughs> i feared that i feared that <laughs> Yeah. Is there, is there, this was wonderful. I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Is there anything else you, you want to touch on that you feel we, we didn't get to any, any key issues or anything else that's on your mind? No, I'm, 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 I'm really good. I, I think this is a great uh, place to, to stop and uh, just thanking you. And again, I, I salute you for, for, for a really interesting initiative that I assume sort of was born out of this, uh, quarantine necessity um but uh, in many ways facilitates uh, a, a sort of a new new perspectives or or, or or facilitates voices to be heard that a lot of people probably find interesting but are, are rarely heard no? and so in many ways i i, I want to thank you for for having me and i hope uh, we didn't bore to the people too much and and I really, I really hope this as well to be sort of, um, um, sort of, you know, expl explaining a bit what, what Chaikuni is doing. And I really hope I got a few people interested as well to visit our webpage, which is simply www.chaikuni.org. And, yeah, and, you know, check out um, our social media as well, which is also easily found as Chaikuni. And, you know, just be, be part of this. Uh, and, you know, do what you can in the situation that you are in. Um, of course, not everyone will travel down to Iquitos and, you know, start to work there. But there's so many things we can and we, and we have to do, um, you know, to, 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 to prevent catastrophe, uh, to put it uh, in a very pessimistic way. But I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to end like that. Um, again, thanks so much. And I don't, have anything to add on and 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 you know people i really invite people to to get in touch with us if they if they would like to do so and would like to um have some further information any specifics uh, we do have reports and 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 materials on our webpage. so just uh, to finish up just uh, an invitation really to to join us and be part of, of this and and yeah hoping that everyone is doing well as well in these challenging times but i think i leave it there and then thanks again jason really great to see you and i hope i see you in person pretty soon again so so yeah
Thanks yeah, man. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And, and thank you for your time. And uh, th- those links we'll put in the show notes. And I, I hope it reaches a good number of people. The, the show is definitely growing slowly, but steadily. And um, yeah, man, I, I think it's, it's amazing the work you're doing, Chaikuni. I know it's a tall feat to, to kind of go out every day and, and, and look at the problems that you're facing. But I, I think you're doing an amazing job. And I, I have a lot of respect for you. And uh, Thank you, man. Thank you for doing what you're doing and coming on and sharing. And, uh, I, you know, there, there's actually, there's a, a bunch more questions I could ask you. So uh, hopefully when you can when do a follow up, <laughs> come back to normal, <laughs> we, we meet again, we, we do a live show in the jungle and we, uh, we can do part two. Great. Thank you so much, Jason. And uh, take care and be in touch and see you soon. Yeah. Great brother. Thank you. All right, everybody, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, this was actually one of my favorite episodes, I think, speaking to, to Stefan. I, I knew we'd have a lot of things to talk about, and um, he's done really amazing work. He's been working for a long time, and I think he brings a really unique and interesting perspective uh, to a lot of the issues going on. And I, I think it's really important, again, like all of my guests, but to really hear from people who are doing this work day in and day out because they they have, a, I think, a um, a, a deep understanding of a lot of the issues and a lot of the nuances and, and how you were saying, none of these things are truly black and white. They're, they're very complex issues. So I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it. And, um, I'm not sure about, I think the order of my following guests, I think, uh, Roman is going to come on. He is the, the founder and the director of Paititi Institute. Um, actually, the next episode is going to be with my friend Martina. Um, she is, uh, she's been doing this work for a long time. She's worked at the plant medicine center, Niwe Rao, who I interviewed Joe Tafur. Um, she's worked with him and with them for a long time. She's a really fascinating woman, really, really beautiful story. So that'll be the next episode. Then I think Roman and, um, after that, I'm not sure, but I, as always, I have some interesting guests coming on. So thank you guys for the support. If you're able to help, uh, support the show via Patreon, that's deeply appreciated. Um, gives you access to a lot of really nice things and, and in giving you also receive things back, things like early access to shows, uh, Q&As, bonus material, things like that. So uh, if you're able to do that, thank you very much to all of the Patreon supporters. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. There's also the option of donating directly via PayPal. I'll put a link uh, to that also in the show notes. And then if you're not able to do that, going on the YouTube page, uh, subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell and liking the videos. Uh, also, feel free to leave any comments that can also help me with new ideas for the show or just uh, conversing with how you feel. If you feel like you got anything from the episodes, that's always appreciated too. Um, and then with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts, again, subscribing to the show and leaving a starred rating and a review. All of that really helps with the algorithms and getting this show out to a bigger and broader audience. So thank you guys for the support. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you on the next episode.